Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy, here to give you part three of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, last week was one of our favorite episodes, and also midweek, uh, Chase put out one of his interesting facts episodes as well. So we're rolling pretty well here through this part of the series. I'm very happy with the work that we've been doing. Talk to him a little bit, Chase, about the interesting facts. You know, Just give him a little preface of what it kind of overtailed and uh, where, you, where you went with it. Yeah, man, uh, this week, I mean, as you know, the interesting facts, guys, if you've been tuning in, they're not like super, they're not the length of our regular episodes here. It kind of just keeps you in tune midweek so you can kind of get that, it's kind of like that pregame warm-up or when you've been out of like the loop for so long when you're missing something, you know, at least the interesting facts will keep you <laughs> drawn in for that week. But it was cool. Uh, last week, uh, actually, one of the big things was I <laughs> told everyone the ingredients and how to cook their own nosebleed knot. So that was pretty cool, or blood blister pod, <laughs> as you can call it. Um, so that was cool. So we went over that sort of thing, and then we talked about actually uh, what Dolores Umbridge, her actual structure for the course was that she had in the textbook by um, Williams, William Slinkhard. So that was interesting there, and we went through a lot of the history of the original uh, Order of the Phoenix of the specifically the deceased uh, that got killed by Voldemort's Death Eaters. So um, just, you know, it, it really kind of gives you that other, I guess, like interesting perspective of being in other characters' shoes and learning something that you didn't know. Because as you and I both know, uh, Jay Nelly, you know, this is easily one of our favorite franchises out there but it's also one of the most popular franchises out there so um a lot of people of course we know uh if you're listening on the podcast or watching on the video you've read the books and you've read the books hundreds and hundreds of times i haven't read them hundreds of times but if you've read the books a lot at least it gives you that something extra uh where you really feel like you're learning something different so that was pretty cool next week is going to be awesome uh, I actually talked about on the interesting facts that one actually might be almost the length of a, a normal episode for I'll say normal podcasts <laughs> like us right us is you you know we'll put out like a three hour episode it won't be that long <laughs> but like it could be like hour and a half something like that um, because we got a lot of really cool stuff next week we'll focus a lot more on the ministry we'll talk about Thestrals uh, so that's really cool um, and actually, Thestrals is one of the rarest Patronuses you can get. So we'll talk about that and then also some of the stuff with the American Ministry of Magic and uh, what happened with them kind of during this whole uh, time period. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, man, uh, actually, I got to say, like, even the chapter we're starting on, like, starts off pretty intense for Order of the Phoenix. So... Um, in Order of the Phoenix, you know, we were talking about, it kind of builds up. Like, it's not just like like your book, Goblet of Fire, how it, it's everything in the middle is just so uh, slam dunk, suspenseful, hard hitting with all the tasks. Like, uh, it kind of like builds and you get a lot of the backstory on things that really piece things together. But I'll tell you, man, <laughs> this was a pretty intense chapter uh, just starting off here in chapter 13. What you think? Yeah, dude. Uh, starting with the tension with Dolores, which, which is chapter 13 here, 
this is the which is we already disliked Dolores Umbridge as it was from where we kind of started seeing her in the beginning of the book all the way back from the hearing to her speech when she interrupted Dumbledore to the first class where she got in a shouting match with Harry we already disliked her right now <clears throat> this chapter here it's going to take it to the next level uh <laughs> we're going to see that she's uh her punishments are cruel and unusual I will say and because Harry is who <laughs> Harry is He's uh, he's willing to take it without uh, complaining or saying anything to anybody else. But we all know that if this was brought to like Dumbledore's attention or even McGonagall's attention, I think there would have been some uh, pretty pretty crazy things that would have happened. But Harry just kind of takes it on the chin. So it is a good place to start, I will say, uh, as well. Going in through where we're gonna close out today as well, Chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army. It's a perfect place to stop. Because uh, it's one of my most exciting parts. I think that's like a really cool thing that, that J.K. Rowling added, and we'll get more to it when we get towards the end. But that's what we're covering today is Chapter 13, Detention with Dolores, through Chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army. Uh, we get to see a lot of cool things happen. And when teenagers a little, kind of take control of their own destiny in a way, they're like, all right, listen, the school ain't going to teach us. We got to do it ourselves. So I thought that was pretty badass. Um, to give a quick recap of where we left off last week to where we are now, like we had mentioned, uh, we got two... First off, uh, Malfoy saw Sirius Black as the dog. Already kind of gave Harry a hint that he knew who it was. They arrive at Hogwarts. We realize Hagrid's not there, still back from his mission uh, where Dumbledore left him in Gobble of Fire. He still hasn't arrived. So they've got Professor Grubbly Plank, who we're going to actually go into a little bit here. Uh, on top of that, we have De- De- Dolores Umbridge, who interrupts Dumbledore's speech... Uh, everyone's kind of like, what the heck is this girl doing? No one does that. That's not how things are done here at Hogwarts, Mrs. Ministry Lady. Uh, from there, kind of goes into talking about how this year is very important for owls and how much crazy homework they got from charms class, from uh, herbology class, from you know transfiguration class. And then we have like that last chapter talking about Umbridge and her course aims and what she was trying to do for Defense Against the Dark Arts, where she gets into that little uh, heated exchange with Harry and it actually puts him in detention for every day of the following week and we're going to see what those detentions entail here today and starting off in this chapter so what do you think man think we get a little cheers and uh open up into it what do you think yeah man let's get a malice in the chalice brother uh quick thing too uh by the way thank you guys um we've been really kicking off lately about to hit uh 12 12k for downloads and you know we've barely been at this thing a year so uh, really means a lot all you guys jumping on the Hogwarts Express with us uh, and the ones uh, that have always been there from the beginning shout out to you guys but yeah man I'll let Jay Nelly kick us off let's get a mouse in the chalice brother all right my dude cheers cheers brother cheers good stuff let's get it going excellent let's do it so Starting here on page 250, which is the start of Detention with Dolores, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about what's going on. Like, people are talking behind Harry's back, and, like, he starts getting a little mad and agitated and wonder why they all kind of believe Dumbledore last year when he said it, like, at the end of Goblet of Fire. And Hermione kind of tells Harry, well, I'm not so sure that they did, because basically what had happened in, like, a four-day stretch... 
You brought back Cedric's body from the graveyard. You know, you were in the hospital wing. Dumbledore addressed the school. And then, like, two days later, we all went home for two months where the Daily Prophet was just telling us how much you guys were liars. So, like, they didn't really get it, let it sink in, or were around anyone that could really corroborate your story. So, it's like, she's telling him that it's not that they believe Dumbledore. They got two months of just fed into their ears and their their faces if they're reading it. Like, hey, this is a bunch of crap and all that good stuff. So... That's why a lot of these people who seem to be on board with it last year, now they're more skeptical uh, this, this year. And on page 252, Hermione, Ron, and Harry, they kind of lament the fact that in their owl year, they have a defense against a dark arts teacher that won't let them do magic. And the fact that Fudge basically sent Umbridge to Hogwarts to be a spy. So like, there's two things kind of a problem right as we start off. Like... She told him right now, like, remember last week we, we left off kind of right around this area where people were complaining, you're not going to let us do magic until the exam. Like, that's where the first time we're going to be able to practice the magic you teach us. And she's like, yeah, there's no reason why if you study the content enough that you won't be able to do it your first try ever. So she, she's already kind of setting them up for failure there. And on top of that, she's sent to be a spy for Fudge because right now it's almost like a, like a hate triangle, right? There's Voldemort, Dumbledore, and then, like, Fudge in the Ministry of Magic. And, like, Dumbledore is trying to ignore Fudge and just focus on Voldemort. Cornelius Fudge is trying to ignore Voldemort and just focus on Dumbledore. And Voldemort is kind of sitting in the back, like, chilling right now. Like, there hasn't been anything crazy happening yet because he's watching it fall apart from the inside. Like, that's what he does. He's really good at it. So, last thing I have before I turn it over to you is that on page 254, Fred and George, they test their products on first years. And Hermione loses her mind and threatens to tell their mom... And like that's like the one thing that they they were like, they actually backed off at that point when Hermione threatened to tell Mrs. Weasley they're like dang it they're like nah you wouldn't dare she's like oh I would so with that I'll go ahead and turn it over to you brother yeah man uh, by the way just bringing this up too like you know Harry keeps giving Hermione and Ron and all these people. Uh, especially Seamus, we'll talk about later on. Like, his, hey, time. man, his name's Seamus. It's called it's it's Seamus. Seamus. <laughs> Seamus, my bad. You know I'm terrible with names. <laughs> <laughs> terrible names. Uh, I wonder if Gingery's in there somewhere. Oh gosh, Gingery. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh man. But like, my point is right. Like, it's kind of like these people that claim whether they've seen something happen or seen like a ghost or, or something, right? Like, it's very easy for people that haven't like scene or anything like of what these people are talking about just to be like oh okay like all right like why would i believe you like in fact you're wondering if they almost believe like maybe harry murdered <laughs> cedric is what could be going through their mind like think about it all they saw was harry show up with cedric Diggory's body and they didn't know that the triwizard cup was a port key so for all they know they they know that Harry, you know, he can he's very advanced and was chosen as a champion. So for all they know in their mind, Harry could have turned that shit into a porky and get, took Cedric out to win the Dry Wizard tournament or something. I mean, you just don't know. Like if you're thinking in your mind, the last thing you're really thinking is a guy that's been disappeared for 14 years just randomly did this when you couldn't even see anything that happened and this guy is just randomly crying he's back he's back he's back think of all the psychos that wind up 
killing their wife or their husband and stuff and wait till the cops get there and act like they're crying <laughs> like i mean so i mean that's my point like don't get me wrong like i would want to believe harry in the situation i would want to especially hermione and ron because you know he's their best friend like you know sir like i'm that. playing the great debate card <laughs> oh man i'm playing the great debate card and putting it down Played it early, so, man. I did play it early. it early because I wasn't even planning on this. You just kind of brought one up that kind of has me like thinking about it. My debate is, like, could people really believe that Harry, as a 14-year-old kid, he's 14 in Goblet of Fire, murder Cedric Diggory? Because my thing, my, my question to that is, wouldn't they all know at that point that Alistair Moody was responsible for most of this so like how could they think Harry would turn the cup into the port key like when they they all found out that their defense against the dark arts teacher was an imposter and like was end up getting killed by the Dementors like I don't know if they could really blame Harry for the death of Cedric when like it was pretty clear that there was a death eater at Hogwarts the whole time so tell me what your thoughts are on that and let's kick this debate off yeah my thoughts are on that as far as with there being like, first of all, my problem with that is they didn't know at the time Alistair Moody was an imposter. Like, they just thought he was actually helping Harry at the time. Because it wasn't until afterwards, you know, they claim an hour, right? <laughs> Which I still think is more than an hour when they found out all this stuff. But, like, they didn't know that at the time. Second of all, like, I'm not saying they would probably think... They would definitely wonder... Like, I'm not saying they would say it's likely that any boy could do that at that age, but at the same time, people are thinking he is the famous chosen one that was able to stop Voldemort, so why couldn't I think he could look up in a textbook The Killing Curse and just shoot one at Cedric or something? Like, maybe the maze did make him, I guess if we're talking about the film, <laughs> the film, the maze changed him, right? The maze changed him inside. Nah, but I'm just saying, like, I mean, it's not likely, but at the same time, here's my argument, is all you're seeing, like, look at this like you were a detective. Or, like, say if you were uh, an Aurora in the ministry and you're having to study, you know, magic legality, and you look at the, the actual situation here. All you're seeing, even if you inspected the Triwizard Cup, Okay, if you inspected it, all right, it was turned into a portkey. Okay, who was around to do that? Okay, so maybe we found out it was Alistair Moody later on, but we're looking at specifically, like, who showed up with the body. Now you're looking at, okay, Harry showed up with Cedric Diggory's body. This is all we really see. On top of that, yeah, we get it. Like, Alistair Moody and this other guy was kept in basically a... a below the basement kept inside the basement through all this time okay well he could have just been like a psychopath basically my point is even if this guy set him up still alistair moody wasn't there with harry so like how do we know it wasn't harry's intention like maybe harry had a choice to do that this guy hasn't been around for 14 years like why would he just randomly come back now and that's who we're thinking it was how do we not know maybe it was someone in the maze and like harry set him up like, how do we not know that? So I'm just saying my point here for this great debate is I'm not saying that um, your mind would immediately think of, man, I want to convict this kid 
but at the same time your mind would think it's more likely that something happened where this guy got murdered on Harry's account versus some guy that's been gone for 14 years got set up in the middle of this whole tournament that has been inspected multiple times that was set up on the Quidditch field with the Triwizard Cup. That's like the Stanley Cup in hockey that someone jinxed. We're not just going to lay that out on the field so anyone can come around it. Like, So there's got to be someone on the inside. It's more likely that this guy got murdered because someone set him up that Harry was involved in it versus uh versus you had someone working on the inside the entire time that's also involved in this tournament that took the entire ministry to get on board with as well to bring it back because it was gone for so long so that's my argument with that is just the evidence you can see with your eyes plays more into the fact that harry's guilty than not and here's what i'll turn over you yeah here's what i'll say to that is remember when in Professor Moody's class, obviously it was Barty Crouch Jr., but in his class, remember he said all of you guys could point your wands at me at the same time and say the killing curse and it wouldn't give me as much as a nosebleed. So pretty pretty safe to say that he couldn't pull off a full killing curse himself. On top of that, I wasn't talking about like like as the events were transpiring in Goblin. I'm talking about at the end because you're, you're saying like right now people are kind of like whispering, wondering, hey... You know, does he have something to do with it? Well, at the end of the year, everyone did know Mad-Eye Moody was an imposter because after all those events happened, Dumbledore addressed the the whole school, right? And so, and he wasn't just like an imposter, he was a death eater. Like, he had the dark mark on him. Barty Crouch Jr. did. Remember, he's like, you show me yours, I'll show you mine, like talking to Snape. So, like, you know, it, if it's a death eater doing these things. So, at the very least, I think it would be, people would be able to, in their minds blame maybe not maybe not Voldemort maybe that's too much for them to comprehend but at least like Barty Crouch Jr like this death eater this old convicted death eater would be more of the person to blame for these tragic events than Harry himself right because I mean think about it the, like the kind of charm it would take to turn a Triwizard Cup into a port key was already a lot of like a heavily advanced magic for somebody of 14 year old's age and on top of that they already know somebody confunded the Goblet of Fire and Dumbledore said himself like when they were talking about the Convundestrom that would make it like really difficult for the Goblet of Fire to um, be hoodwinked you know he said that's way beyond anything a 14 year old wizard could do so it's just one of those things where I think like if people really thought about it I don't think that Harry would be someone that comes to the forefront of their mind as who's responsible for this stuff I think it'd be more of like the person that they caught (laughs) like but then again he got his soul sucked out, so he couldn't really give his confession to the whole school or anything. But I think <laughs> I think it'd be more it would be pointing more in that direction more than it would be at Harry. So that's my thoughts on it. I, I think it just one thing I'll say about that because I, I do agree with that point. Like I'm not saying like I even said in my own words like people would be shocked like to see this because you know Harry Potter you would never think something like that would happen or anything for what they could assume and i get it like alistair you know who was impostering him right um barty crouch jr like was uh, confessed all that and i get it but i'm just saying especially like from a kid's perspective not even saying it i think you're a lot more logical from an adult perspective than versus if you're a child and all you're really seeing is this guy showed up with a body like even though you're wanting to believe like they even say have a mind of a child like what's good what's right so even if you wanted to believe like Harry's good and stuff that would I'm just saying there would still play a role in their mind 
where they would say, well, this is all I really saw. Like, I still won't forget that moment. Like, you showed up with his body. So, like, I think you are more likely to believe Harry for the kind of person he is. I'm just saying it's kind of like being caught with a smoking gun. Like, it doesn't look good by all means. Like, it doesn't look good. Like, you're going to have to explain your case really well because right now like this just does not look cool at the moment like just think about it right (laughs) you imagine telling this back to the detective you said we'll take it together like why didn't you just take the triwizard cup yourself harry well because i i you know i felt bad like i really wanted him to take it too okay well i mean this is like literally would put you on the map as the triwizard champion something people have wanted all their lives not that the gold matters but i mean you worked all this way for that like and he tells him the story about like the the arachnid where his leg was hurting and stuff he's like man that's a pretty elaborate story but you're telling me you still told him to take it together though like i mean i'm just saying i get it like i'm very more inclined to believe harry and i would want to believe harry I'm just saying from an outsider's perspective, I can see where they would have some doubts because it's kind of, it's not as bad as getting caught with a smoking gun. It's like getting caught with a gun that was laying there with no bullets in it. Like, it still doesn't look good. It's the one thing I'll say to that, and then we'll we'll wrap the debate up, is just that there wasn't, it's not like there wasn't any signs of this coming to pass as it was. I mean, every single year that Harry's been there, it's been like signs pointing towards Voldemort, right? Like, the whole Sorcerer's Stone Mm -hmm. thing, the whole school heard about that, like, they know what that what happened there. The Chamber of Secrets. They know what happened there. You know, the third book doesn't have too much to do with Voldemort himself, but it's not. It's not like it just came out of the clear blue sky. Like stuff has been leading up to to that point. So it's like, you know, I'm in your own words. You told me to well think of it from an horror's perspective, and I was like, well, yeah, I am. Like like, like I'm thinking about it as someone who's got to look at all the facts. Like like that's been happening. That that's led up to the the point and moment. So it's just like I can see why people might be wary of Harry and like skeptical of like hey, is this whole story, like, as he says? But I don't think anyone would come to the conclusion, like, yeah, Harry killed Cedric. <laughs> like, I don't think... I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think he would either. The last thing I'll say about that, and I'll let you take us back yeah. away here, I was just saying, like, I mean, my point here is I don't think anyone would believe, like, Cedric killed... Uh, like, Harry killed Cedric, especially after they talked to him and that sort of thing. And I think this book here is what really winds up solidifying towards the end like okay wow like now we have to believe you at this point like that's your proof but this is before that before the end of this book i'm just saying it would definitely pose doubts to where like you're saying i guess like weary like especially if you're a kid at that school like i don't like you showed up with a body like i might not want to like hang out with you very much this year because like i don't know really what you're capable of like you think you know somebody and here you're standing with this but it's like and at the same time keep in mind just remember like all they've heard really is stories about Voldemort coming back that's really all they've heard so I'm just saying if you were a detective you would I think after interviewing Harry you would be like okay well uh, this makes sense what you're saying let's let's definitely dissect this and take it into investigation but like good cop bad cop i could see how someone would be like 
Okay, like you're just gonna have to put together a really well written story here so that all your facts line up, which he did, which he did. Like you can't deny like the things he said with all the details. Like that's not something someone can make up. I'm just saying like if someone looked at it right away, which would pose doubts to where people really kind of wouldn't want to be around him because they don't know the whole truth yet because they haven't seen anything with their eyes yet. I mean, a detective on that would say, like, man, like, this doesn't look good, though. <laughs> like, this doesn't look good for you. You haven't confessed. <laughs> but no, I, I agree with what you're saying. I would agree with you. Yes. Yeah. But with that, I'll let you take it away, man. Let's cast <laughs> this bad boy out to the shadow areas there. Boom. And the shadows. I'll just do two you quick ones and pass it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> On page 255, uh, Hermione's making, like, clothes for, like, the house elves. But she's hiding them under trash to trick the house elves into picking them up and being set free. And, like, I'm all for Hermione, like, doing social justice work. But that's something you cannot do. Because at that point, you're basically taking the choice out of the house elves, like, right then and there, too. Like, you, like that's almost as bad as... Not terribly as bad as enslaving them, I guess. But the, the fact is, is that at Hogwarts, the house elves do have a choice to work there or not. And they choose to do it. And Dumbledore's offered to pay them. And they refuse to take his money. This is this was all said back in Goblet of Fire. So the fact that Hermione's trying to trick these house elves into picking up her clothes so that way they'll be set free, it's kind of messed up because you're taking the choice out of their hands. Which like you're basically doing what you don't want to be done to them, but you're doing it on the opposite side. Like like leave it out and see if they take it, but you can't hide it underneath trash to make like forcibly do it. And we actually find out later on, like when they start disappearing who all takes it and what, she, what ends up happening she actually makes life kind of more miserable for one house elf because he's the one that's got to clean up everything because they refuse to go there they don't they won't go to the gryffindor tower anymore right but uh and, and i thought it was also kind of funny right next the next page in 256 ron kind of insults hermione's elf hats and like what they look like and she kind of gets all pissy about it and and then the last thing i'll <laughs> say about uh the before i turn back over to you is on page 256 and 257 it's just talking about like the charms and transfiguration owl prep, right? So, the, what Professor Flitwick says, he says, These examinations may influence your futures for many years to come. If you have not already given serious thought to your careers, now is the time to do so. And in the meantime, I'm afraid we should be working harder than ever to ensure that you do yourselves justice. Talk about the exams. So, there's some the stuff for uh, charms prep. And then, obviously, if you thought that... <laughs> Uh, the charms prep is gonna be bad. Transfigurations with Professor McGonagall. Oh shit, she she lays the hammer down, and they're gonna be working heavy on on their transfiguration too. So with those two things being said, I'll pass it back over to you, and we'll keep this thing rolling. Yeah, I mean that that was awesome. Uh, one thing a little add I'll add to that transfiguration. Uh, it was cool because they were studying vanishing charms, like you were mentioning. But Hermione. You know, she successfully, like, disappears her snail on the third attempt. Like, once again, like, Hermione's got this down. Yep. Whereas, you know, like, naturally talented, but also, like, one of those people, if you ever knew, like, in life or in school, like, smart, but also, like, work their ass off. <laughs> so, like, she's, you know, she's exactly what you would want as a teacher, really. Absolutely. She really is, like. Uh, and she's not a teacher's pet either as she started to prove like she kind of started that at the beginning like where she was a teacher's pet but now she really like you know especially like she showed last episode we talked about with Umbridge and uh, she's shown before in Trelawney's class like she's definitely matured a lot 
Um, but I thought that was cool while, you know, Harry and Ron are still, like, struggling their butt off <laughs> all the time. Uh, and then kind of from here, I thought this was cool, like, Professor Grumblyplank, that's subbing in for Hagrid, uh, she introduces Bowtruckles, so that was pretty cool. Um, we'll talk about them a little bit in my Interesting Facts bonus episode uh, coming up next week, so that was cool. Uh, but they're tiny pixie-ish creatures uh, made of wood, um, and they have like knobby brown arms and legs with twig-like fingers at the end of each hand. Uh, they're funny, flat, bark-like uh, face in which it says it's described them as like a pair of beetle brown eyes that glittered. Um, so I, th I thought that was really cool, like kind of an interesting magical creature there. But Hermione even said like bow truckles eat wood lice and uh, fairy eggs if they can get them. So I thought that was interesting. Other um, thing I thought interesting about them too is like they are tree guardians and live in wand trees. So the trees that they take yeah, take I for the wands, really cool. like those, they they guard those trees. I thought was pretty cool, but yeah, <laughs> that was really cool. Actually, uh, I was gonna say this in my bonus episode next week, but what's really cool is uh, if you find um, like one guarding one of those trees. How you're mentioning like the wand trees, that's how you know it's wand ready by if you see those things around it. That's so cool. that's really cool. If one's like doesn't have bow truckles around it and it's a wand tree, it's not wand ready yet. So either it was like just born or it's about to die. Wow. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's really kind of cool. cool. Uh, I thought it was interesting, like, cause bow truckles, like, I mean, they're cool, but like who would ever think that was like scary or anything? <laughs> just throwing it out there. Uh, and then last thing, and I'll throw it back to you, my friend. Uh, just a couple things. So Professor Grumblyplank winds up assigning the students to sketch the bow truckles as like their homework and uh, label all the body parts at the end of the lesson. So they keep getting hit with all this homework, man. Uh, and we know my boy Snape ain't letting up on him either. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, and then Harry asks, you know, where basically where's Hagrid been the whole time? And then, of course, you know, Malfoy's always the most kind person in the class always always never um uh, you know probably the most quiet person i would say <laughs> i'm just kidding. definitely doesn't mind speaking his mind and he goes maybe he's been messing with stuff that's too big for him if you get my drift and then said malfoy walked away smirking over his shoulder at harry who suddenly felt sick did malfoy know something his father was a death eater after all what if he had information about Hagrid's fate that had not yet reached the Order's ears? He hurried back around the table to Ron and Hermione, who were squatting on the grass some distance away, attempting to persuade a bow truckle to remain still long enough to draw it. Harry pulled out parchment and quill, crouched down beside the others, and related in a whisper what Malfoy had just said, page 259 uh, to 260. Um, but it, it just reminds you, like... Hagrid's uh, remember Dumbledore gave him that task so there's a reason he's been gone for a while so it's just a reminder that Hagrid as much as he likes you know uh, Madam what's her name Madam Maxime Pompey what's, it? what's her name Say <laughs> Madam that name. Maxime there you go yeah Maxine Madam Maxine I almost mixed it up with the uh, Professor uh, Madame Pomfrey that's in the hospital wing. <laughs> yeah, Madame Maxine. Yeah, uh, so he's got, he's got a big task on his hand there. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, brother. 
Sounds good. Like, yeah, the, the, the line you just said with Malfoy, I just put that as a quick foreshadow. If, you know, when he said he's messing stuff that's too big for mm-hmm. him. Like, that's a bit foreshadow of, like, what's, what's to come and what we find out uh, right. from Hagrid later on. But, yeah, in page 261, Harry was fully aware that they had just had an exemplary care of magical creatures class, and he was thoroughly annoyed by it. I thought found that funny because he <laughs> likes Hagrid so much that even though they had a great class, he's mad that they had a great class because he, he wants it to be Hagrid that was teaching him, so... Thought that was pretty funny. Uh, and on page 260, uh, 262, Luna expresses her support for Harry, and Hermione, of course, offends Luna. And Harry is like, "Dude, I barely have people on my side as it is. Like, can you give me? Can you let someone like actually to, like be uh, take my side and not give him a hard time?" Hermione's like, "Oh, for heaven's sake, Harry, you can do better than her." That's what she says about Luna, which is like that's a big wow moment because. I thought like we were we were accepted, accepting of all people, right? Especially Hermione, who people kind of stay away from, especially in the first couple of books when she was just a know-it-all, insufferable know-it-all, as people were saying. And you know, they learned to accept her. You would think that she would be accepting of all people, especially you know someone who's working on social justice issues like this, the house elf stuff, and like just always was very kind to Neville too. And Neville's kind of like a big blundering idiot a lot of the times, like. So now all of a sudden she just doesn't like Luna? I don't know, man. That's weird. But <laughs> going on to page 262 here, Ernie expresses his support for Harry too, which actually shows some character progression because remember when he accused Harry of attacking Justin Finch Fletchley in the Chamber of Secrets? Like really big character progression on Ernie Macmillan's part there. Good stuff. And then two more things and I'll turn it over to you. Uh, to page 263, Harry's detention with Umbridge makes it so he can't go to keeper tryouts because remember Oliver Wood has uh, left school and after year three then year four they didn't have um, Quidditch they had the Triwizard Tournament so Angelina Johnson being the new Quidditch captain was going to hold keeper tryouts to figure out who's going to replace Oliver Wood and Harry was supposed to go but he landed himself in detention with Dolores Umbridge so he actually cannot attend the keeper tryouts and then the last thing I have here, it's actually a foreshadow on page 264. Uh, it's just Ron kind of foreshadowing the Quidditch tryouts. He says, it looks like it's going to rain, he said miserably. So that's just a little bit of uh, what's to come for Ron being worried about the weather out there on the Quidditch pitch. And with that, I'll, I'll send it back over to Chase. Oh, the weather outside is frightful. <laughs> oh, yeah, Bronny. Ronnie's tryout is not so delightful. <laughs> Foreshadowing there. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, one thing I wrote about Angelina, it actually had a little quote where Harry was talking about her. And he said, uh, it says, I think we better check with the Puddlemore United whether Oliver Wood's been, kill- been killed during a training session. Because she seems to be claiming his spirit. Channeling, channeling his, spirit. his spirit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like, I, I think it's good, though. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's funny, because if you think from, like, a, I guess, like, someone on the team, right? You might have been thinking, oh, nice. Like, our, our, coach is, our, our coach is gone. Like, we're good. Like, we're going to have someone easy and relaxing this year. Angelina gets nominated. And it's, like, back where everyone started again like two years ago like when Oliver Wood was like giving them that massive pep talk before they won the Quidditch World Cup like a Quidditch House Cup like it's just like man like I know everyone on the team is like ah like we can't get a break here 
Let's like what happened to the two-hour practices? <laughs> We're starting off right. Um, but I thought that was cool. Uh, it's funny you were talking about Ron's Quidditch because Ron actually. Uh, no, sorry. Did you? I didn't want to interrupt you there. If you had a comment on that. Oh no, didn't have a comment on it. I just yeah we we yeah left off with like what the detention is. The Ron, we don't learn about Ron until like a little bit more. Like we we don't actually learn like what he was doing until like a couple pages from here. Uh, right. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that that's perfect because that was a perfect transition because that's exactly what I was thinking, and it was about Ron. Uh, and Ron asked Harry, like, what are the odds, basically, like, Umbridge is going to let him off Friday? Um, and he goes, what do you reckon are the odds of Umbridge letting you off Friday, said Ron skeptically as they sat down at the Gryffindor table. And Harry just goes, less than zero, said Harry grumly, tipping lamb chops off his plate and starting to eat. Better try, though, hadn't I? I'll offer to do two more detentions or something. I don't know. And that's, like, foreshadowing of what's to come. <laughs> like, uh, at that point, just throw in the towel, man. Like, I guess everyone can have hope, right? Like, that's, like, when you have your fingers crossed and you're sitting there, like, praying. Well, don't worry. I'll, I'll figure something out. And it's like, nah, dude. Like, you've already struck out three times. You just don't realize it yet. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, then uh you know uh do you want to take this part it's up to you it's uh this is when we start getting to the big moments yeah i'll, I'll, I'll take this chapter. little part here because i got a little paragraph i wanted to read that yeah i'll take yeah. this little area uh you know to give the preface here when he enters for the room for his detention with dolores umbridge like she basically tells him like in her sweet little girly voice i'll come in and sit down harry <laughs> there's a pen and paper <laughs> waiting for you over there a quill i should say all you're gonna be doing is some lines not a big deal just do some lines and he says what, what am i supposed to be writing she said you're gonna be writing i must not tell lies so everything seems all hunky-dory until he starts using the quill because she he asked her he's like uh like i'm gonna need some ink and she's like oh no you won't <laughs> you don't need any ink <laughs> no problem just write right on the paper <laughs> and so what happens he starts writing i must not tell lies on the paper and as he's writing it the words actually get etched into his hand exactly as he's writing it on his paper i must not tell lies and that's pretty messed up <laughs> because it, it, like the quote-unquote ink is actually his blood and on top of that it's cutting into his skin like leaving him like scabs and like it's kind of weird because after he writes the first line and it disappears it disappears on his hand too so he just has he keeps doing that and so until you know but he like when he first when it first happened he like did wasn't expecting it but he realized it was kind of gonna be like a battle of wills like who's gonna break here first it's not gonna be me so I'm actually going to read this, uh, this paragraph here on page 267. Darkness fell outside Umbridge's window. Harry did not ask when he would be allowed to stop. He did not even check his watch. He knew she was watching him for signs of weakness, and he was not going to show any, not even if he had to sit here all night, cutting open his hand with the quill over and over again. Come here, she said after what seemed like hours. He stood up, his hand was stinging painfully. When he looked down, he saw that the cut had healed, but the skin was red raw. So that's what I wanted to, to leave it here and give it back to you is just that he has been, this is like a cruel and unusual punishment that we were talking about when we first opened this episode, right? And it was just like a big battle of wills, like, like two Rams headbutt in there. So like she, he was supposed to go at detention at like five o'clock and he was stuck there till like after midnight. So that's like seven hours of writing and getting your hand cut open 
consistently. And that's uh, that's would cause a lot of problems if he decided he was going to tell one of the higher-ups. But he decides he's not going to because he's a stubborn idiot. And with that, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> yeah, man. I still remember reading this as a kid. And this is one thing I got to say. I rewatched the film the other day. This was really downplayed. <laughs> like, I got to say, like, this was one of those moments. I felt like, I guess, when reading it this time, because I was already prepared for it, because I read it so much, you know, growing up, um, it, like, I, I knew what I was expecting. But as a kid, I remember, like, reading this, and I was like, this guy is being, this is being, this is torture. Like, this is messed up. Like, it, and even worse, like, the fact that, like, it recovers up, so you have to re-experience the pain. Like, you're causing the pain on yourself here. Like, it was, I remember, like, it just almost, like, seemed like he was in agony. Whereas, like, the film, like, it, like, appears on his hand, and he's just, like, <laughs> they're, like, Daniel Radcliffe as Harry. He goes, ugh, ugh. And then Umbridge just goes, until it sinks in <laughs> and then he like that was it like that was the end of the scene like it's like a five minute scene like she pulls out the quills and has like the cats everywhere which i don't recall in the book at all like it said like cats were like all over the office like it looked like a cat house it's supposed to be an office but interesting liberty they took with it but like the main part of the scene and like that was supposed to be part of the scene like it was like five minutes like it's like ooh. I felt like he was writing in the diary again, and it just showed up and disappeared. And they're like, have a good day. Like, that's your detention. Whereas, like, especially in the book, the fact that it's, like, a week long of misery and torture and agony and hell, like, that, like, wasn't played out at all. Uh, so that was, like, the one, one of the few problems. I got to say, like, we'll talk about this in our differences episode. I thought it was better than some of the other previous films, but at the same time, I mean... You know, I don't like to talk trash or anything. I just feel like maybe, you know, given the opportunity, me and you might be able to do a little bit better. Just just throwing it out there. I just thought it'd be, you know, maybe. Uh, and then this next part here. So I do want to read this one, one little section. It's the third detention uh, we're going into. And it just, like, further puts in, you know, the agony that, uh, you know, what's going on. It really presses into the fact that it's it's almost like like he's gonna have to get used to the fact he's got to endure this um and so it uh so on this page here on page this is if you wanted to follow along this is page 270 at the bottom uh it's a page 271 yeah you like that i actually started writing down my page numbers yeah make sure i could actually read it <laughs> make sure i actually read it today but um so it says uh, on 270 here it says Thursday passed in a haze of tiredness Ron seemed very sleepy too though Harry could not see why he should be Harry's third detention passed in the same way as the previous two except that after two hours the words I must not tell lies did not fade from the back of Harry's hand but remained scratched there oozing droplets of blood the pause in the pointed quills scratching made Professor Umbridge look up. Ah, she said softly, moving around her desk to examine his hand herself. Good. That ought to serve as a reminder to you, oughtn't it? You may leave for tonight. Do I still have to come back tomorrow? 
said Harry, picking up his school bag with his left hand rather than his smarting right. Oh, yes, said Professor Umbridge, smiling wildly as before. Yes, I think we can etch the message a little deeper with another evening's work. He had never been before considered the possibility that there might be another teacher in the world he hated more than Snape. But as he walked back towards the Gryffindor Tower, he had to admit he had found a contender. She's evil, he thought, as he climbed a staircase to the seventh floor. She's an evil, twisted, mad, old... Ron? And so my point with that passage is it just lets it sink in. Like, Harry in his mind, I feel like, because Ron had hyped him up for it. Okay, like, don't worry, just get through this. You're going to be fine. Maybe you can even convince her to do a double detention. You'll be fine. You'll get past it. And she's just like, oh, absolutely not. No, we are going to have to endure the entire thing. <laughs> entire thing. Uh, and with that, yeah, we're getting to a big point with Ron, and I'll turn it back over to you, man. Yeah, like they kind of bump into each other, like you were saying. That Harry was deep in thought about how much he disliked Professor Umbridge. And then he kind of bumps into Ron, who kind of seems out of sorts, too. And they, they both, like try to hide stuff from the other like harry like puts his hand down tries to hide his hand ron like puts the broom behind his back you know <laughs> so i mean it was funny but the the long and short of that is we find out why ron has been so tired and why he was worried about the weather this whole time is because he's actually been trying out to be the new gryffindor keeper which is really cool because it'd be nice for harry to have like a good friend on the team you know he asked him if he's any good. He's like, oh, all right. Like, but yeah, we we learn in a little bit what kind of struggles Ron has. It's not that he's not skilled. He he just seems to let things get to him a little easy. Like you know, he's one of those persons, people who like when their confidence goes down, their performance goes down. So we'll talk more about that later. But that was what the whole thing was about there when they bumped into each other. Like, and Ron ended up actually catching a glimpse of Harry's hand. And, you know, basically tells me, oh, man, you got to tell Dumbledore or McGonagall or somebody. And Harry's like, no, I will not. I will, I will fight this woman myself. <laughs> like, you know, he doesn't really say that. But he basically tells him, nah, man, this is something I, I got to deal with on my own. So now they both have, like, it's kind of cool because Ron had a secret. Harry's got a secret. Now they're the only ones that know each other's secret, right? Like, no, even Hermione doesn't know about the hand thing and, like, I'm not sure Hermione knew about keeper tryouts either until after we figure out the the uh, result if if he makes the team or not. So, going on further from there, page 274, uh, Harry serves his final detention while attempting to watch the keeper tryouts from the window. You know, and he was seeing like some some good stuff, some bad stuff. I remember one time he was hoping he's like, oh, I hope that one wasn't Ron, man. <laughs> like there's someone that one that did like really poorly. So, but he had to stay all the way until he, he could no longer see the pitch. Like it was. You know, he started, like I said, like 5 o'clock detention, I think it was. And then I had to keep going. And then imagine probably at that point in time, sun probably sits sets around 7.30-ish or so. So he's already been in detention for two and a half hours. And he's got to stay even longer than that till like, like I think it said past midnight. Like, that's so many hours of freaking detention, man. <laughs> like, like you got to make someone do more hours of one detention than they did of actually doing the whole schoolwork throughout the whole day. Like, that's crazy to me. Um, And then uh, this is a big part here. It's like Harry finishes his final detention with her. Umbridge inspects his hand, but when she touches him, his scar sears in pain. Like, 
And this is, and he said he actually felt a weird like sensation in his stomach as well. And we'll learn a little bit about what that means coming up. But now we've got this other possible like conflict that is Umbridge actually in league with Voldemort. Like, is she someone that is like a Voldemort supporter or like, or like knows of what's going on and, and is intentionally trying to be there as like sent as like a sabotage or like she's like infiltrated the ministry and also Hogwarts. Is she like a, like a triple agent type of deal? Like and that, it builds that question and we, we'll get the answer to it later on. But still now we've got like this, this thing that's like, oh man, this, she could be even worse than we originally thought, which we already thought she was terrible to begin with. So last thing, I'll, and then I'll turn it over to you, is just the happy part that Ron made the team and he's the new Gryffindor keeper. Yay, Ron. What a good go, good old guy <laughs> making the team. And actually, I did, I did want to take one more thing from page 277 down through the uh, first paragraph of 278. This is talking about when we were mentioning with uh, Umbridge when she touches Harry and his scar sears in pain she actually he actually tells uh, Hermione and Ron about this and this is what this is kind of going into what they think in the whole thought process top of page 277 great said Harry distractedly if he did not tell somebody soon he would burst listen Hermione I was just up in Umbridge's office and she touched my arm Hermione listened closely when Harry had finished she said slowly you're worried that you know who's controlling her like he did control Quirrell? Well, said Harry, dropping his voice, it's a possibility, isn't it? I suppose so, said Hermione, though she sounded unconvinced. But I don't think he can be possessing her the way he possessed Quirrell. I mean, he's properly alive again now, isn't he? He's got his own body. He wouldn't need to share someone else's. He could have her under the Imperius curse, I suppose. And Harry watched Fred, George, and Lee Jordan juggling empty butterbeer bottles for a moment. Then Hermione said, but last year, your scar hurt when nobody was touching you. And didn't Dumbledore say it had something to do with you know who was feel how you know who was feeling at the time? I mean, maybe this hasn't got anything to do with Umbridge at all. Maybe it's just coincidence that happened while you were with her. She's evil, said Harry flatly, twisted. She's horrible, yes, but Harry, I think you ought to tell Dumbledore your scar hurt. And it was the second time in two days that he had been advised to go to Dumbledore. And his answer to Hermione was just the same as his answer to Ron. I'm not bothering him with this. Like you just said, it's not a big deal. It's been hurting on and off all summer. It's just a bit worse tonight, that's all. Harry, I'm sure Dumbledore would want to be bothered by this. Yeah, said Harry before he could stop himself. That's the only bit of me Dumbledore cares about, isn't it? My scar. Don't say it. It's not true. I think I'll write and tell Sirius about it and see what he thinks. Harry, you can't put something like that in a letter, said Hermione, looking alarmed. Don't you remember what Moody told us? Be careful what we put in writing. We just can't guarantee owls aren't being accept- intercepted anymore. And that is where I'll leave it there, because that's actually kind of foreshadowed with owls being intercepted a bit. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you as we start Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot. Yeah, man. Um, just uh, one quick thing here, uh, just right after that, was Hermione. Uh, like, right, Well, right before that, like when Harry comes back, like Hermione has been exhausted from like the owls and making all her clothes <laughs> for these elves so she was asleep by the fire and i just thought what was cool uh this kind of went into um our interesting facts uh, a little bit um during the bonus episode but like fred and george were like giving everyone nosebleeds <laughs> with like the nosebleed knots so those are your boys um 
And, and they're you know, they're they called nosebleed nougats. That's what they're called. Nougats, <laughs> <laughs> nosebleed nougats. That's what they're called. I pronounce them knots or whatever they are. I, I just stick to blood blister pods, which is <laughs> the same thing. Good stuff, man. Um, so that was going on there. I just thought that was pretty cool. Um, also, there is like a little bit of a foreshadowing with like Ron and Hermione's relationship, and because uh, Fred goes, she's there. And was also like swinging his butter beer and pointed to the armchair by the fire. Hermione was dozing in it, her drink tipping precariously in her hand. Well, she said she was pleased when I told her, said Ron, looking slightly put out. Let her sleep, said George hastily. It was a few moments before Harry noticed that several of the first years gathered around them before unmistakable signs of recent nosebleeds. Uh, so it was like kind of just showing like a foreshadowing of their relationship just a little bit where she like supported Ron when even like I feel like Fred and George I don't know like I mean they support Ron but they always give him a hard time like they were just kind of like cool like whatever almost like how Angelina like says stuff to Harry later on we'll talk about about Ron's performance on the field like Fred and George are just kind of like yeah whatever Ron like whatever you're still not neither either one of us you're definitely not charlie so have a good day ron <laughs> have a good day uh so i kind of feel bad for him a little bit but um katie bell at this point was uh putting oliver's old robes on ron which is pretty cool i thought that was cool kind of like but it's like ironic right because ron's always getting the hand-me-downs like no one can ever give ron like anything new i feel like like he's the new guy on the quidditch team you couldn't at least give the guy a new like set of robes <laughs> like that's like giving him a hand-me-down jersey that didn't get retired it's like oh you can have this guy like whatever um and then uh angelina this is when you know she was telling harry like he's still got a long way to go she said look i know he's your best mate but he's not fabulous she said bluntly i think with a bit of training he'll be all right though he comes from a family of good quidditch players i'm banking on him turning out to have a bit more talent than he showed today to be honest vicky frobisher and joffrey hooper both flew better this evening, but Hooper's a real whiner and he's always moaning about something or the other, and Vicky's involved in all sorts of societies. She admitted herself that if training clashed with her charms club, she'd put charms first. Anyway, we're having a practice session at 2 o'clock tomorrow, so just make sure you're there this time. And do me a favor and help Ron as much as you can, okay? He nodded and Angelina strolled back to Leisha Spinner. Uh, Harry moved over to sit next to Hermione, who awoke with a jerk as he put down his bag. So it just shows, like, I get you're celebrating Ron, but it didn't exactly, like, let's put it this way. You're no Steph Curry. You're, even though Tom Brady was overlooked in the sixth round, I'm sorry, you're not Tom Brady. <laughs> like, right now, it's, yeah, we got a lot of work to do. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, my man. Cool. Uh, just on page 279, I'm here starting chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot. It just kind of starts off with a bit of a foreshadow here about like Harry wondering how many elves Hermione set free and whether they wanted to be or not. We actually find out um, later on what actually happens to all those hats that have been disappearing that she's been making for everyone. Now, going on to uh, page 
280, I'm going to read Sirius Black's letter. Uh, well, I guess it's a letter to Sirius, right? It says, Dear Snuffles, hope you're okay. The first week back here has been terrible. I'm really glad it's the weekend. We've got a new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Professor Umbridge. She's nearly as nice as your mom. I'm writing because that thing I wrote to you about last summer happened again last night when I was doing a detention with Umbridge. We're all missing our biggest friend. We hope you'll be back soon. Please write back quickly. Best, Harry. Now, that's the, he wrote a lot of that in code because, we, as we were talking about, they can't guarantee that owls aren't being intercepted. So, writing this, he put all those things in code. I mean, obviously, if you've read up to this point, you'll know what he means. But if you haven't, I'll kind of decode it for you. So when he says, like, the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Professor Umbridge is nearly as nice as your mom. His mom is that screaming portrait of, like, shrieking fury in number 12 of Grimald Place. So, like, the worst thing ever. <laughs> She's like, he's almost as nice as your mom. Then on top of that, like, the thing that I wrote about to you last summer, his scar hurting. And this is before Voldemort returned. And then the last thing, we're missing our biggest friend, referring to Hagrid, you know, being a half-giant. You know, we hope he'll be back soon from his mission that he, he had undertaken from Dumbledore. So... Just a little bit about that there. Going on to page uh, 281, and this is actually where I put my interesting facts on. I guess my interesting fact, singular. Uh, page 281, talking about Peeves the Poltergeist. He says, this, this is from Nearly Headless Nick. I would not go that way if I were you, said Nearly Headless Nick. This is talking about Harry going up to send that letter out to the Owlery. He says, Peeves is planning an amusing joke on the next person to pass the bust of Paracelsus halfway down the corridor. Does it involve Paracelsus falling on top of the person's head? asked Harry. Funnily enough, it does, said nearly headless Nick in a bored <laughs> voice. Subtlety has never been Peeves' strong point. I'm off to try to find the bloody baron. He might be able to put a stop to it. So my interesting fact is actually on Paracelsus, which is the bust uh, that uh, Peeves was planning to drop on somebody. So now going awesome. uh, further here. Yeah, this is a cool thing. Now page 283... Well, 282 has a quick foreshadow, nothing too crazy. It just, uh, you know, I'm going to read you the, the second to last paragraph regarding a certain type of creature uh, that we haven't mentioned yet. But anyways, <laughs> the treetops of the Forbidden Forest swayed in a light breeze. Harry watched them, savoring the fresh air on his face, thinking about Quidditch later, and then he saw it. A great reptilian-winged horse, just like the ones pulling the Hogwarts carriages with leathery black wings spread wide like a pterodactyl's, rose up out of the trees like a grotesque giant bird. It soared in a great circle, then plunged once more into the trees, and the whole thing happened so quickly that Harry could hardly believe what he'd seen, except that his heart was hammering madly. So, we still haven't figured out what these things are. Harry sees them again. We will later on, guys, I promise, because they come up to play a really big role towards the end of the book. And then, uh, page 283... I'm going to read, uh, this is, this is actually a pretty long one here, and so this is also a foreshadow, not just of Harry and Cho that I'm about to get into, but also of having the male monitored in a, in a way, so this is kind of like two foreshadows in one, but I'll go ahead and, and read here from the top. Hi, said Harry automatically. Oh, hi, she said breathlessly. I didn't think anyone would be up here this early. I only remembered five minutes ago. It's my mom's birthday, and she held up the parcel. Right, said Harry. <laughs> His brain seems to have jammed. He wanted to say something funny and interesting, but the memory of that terrible winged horse was fresh in his mind. 
Nice day, he said, gesturing to the windows. His inside seemed to shrivel with embarrassment. The weather. He was talking about the weather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> said Cho, looking around for a suitable owl. Good Quidditch conditions. I haven't been out all week, have you? No, said Harry. And Cho had selected one of the school barn owls. She coaxed it down onto her arm, where it held out an obliging leg so that he could attach the parcel. Hey, has Gryffindor got a new keeper yet, she asked. Yeah, said Harry. My friend Ronald Weasley. Do you know him? The tornado hater, <laughs> said Cho rather coolly. Is he any good? Yeah, I think so. I didn't see his tryout, though. I was in detention. Cho looked up at the parcel, only half attached to the owl's leg. That umbrage woman's foul, she said in a low voice. Putting you in detention just because you told the truth about how... How... How he died. Everyone heard about it. It was all over the school. You were really brave to stand up to her like that. Harry's insides reinflated so rapidly he felt as though he might actually float a few inches off the dropping strewn floor. Who cared about stupid flying horses? Cho thought he had been really brave. And for a moment, he considered accidentally on purpose showing her his cut hand as he helped tie her parcel onto the owl. But the very instant that thrilling thought occurred, the owlery door opened again. And Filch, the caretaker, came wheezing into the room. There were purple patches on his sunken, vain cheeks. His jowls were a quiver, and his thin gray hair disheveled. He had obviously run here. Mrs. Norris came trotting at his heels, gazing up at the owls overhead and meowing hungrily. There was a restless shifting of wings from above, and a large brown owl snapped his beak in a menacing fashion. Aha! said Filch, taking a flat-footed step towards Harry, his pouchy cheeks trembling with anger. I've had a tip-off that you had intending to place a massive order for dung bombs. Harry folded his arms and stared at the caretaker, who told you I was ordering dung bombs. Cho was looking from Harry to Filch, also frowning. The barn owl, on her arm, tired of standing on one leg, gave an admonitory hoot, but she ignored it. I have my sources, said Filch in a self-satisfied hiss. Now hand over whatever it is you're sending. Feeling immensely thankful he had not dawdled in posting off the letter, Harry said, I can't. It's gone. Gone, said Filch, his face contorting with rage. Gone, said Harry calmly. Filch opened his mouth furiously, mouthed for a few seconds, then raked Harry's robes with his eyes. How do I know you haven't got it in your pocket? Because I saw him send it, said Cho angrily. Filch rounded on her. You saw him? That's right, I saw him, she said fiercely. And there was a moment's pause in which Filch glared at Cho, and Cho glared right back, and then the caretaker turned on his heel and shuffled back towards the door, and he stopped with his hand on the handle, looked back at Harry. If I get so much as a whiff of a dung bomb, and he stumped off down the stairs, Mrs. Norris cast a long look at the owls and followed him, and Harry and Cho looked at each other. Thanks, Harry said. No problem, said Cho, finally fixing the parcel of the barn owl's other leg, her face slightly pink. You weren't ordering dung bobs, were you? No, said Harry. Well, I wonder why you thought you were then, as she carried the owl to the window. So that's where I'll, I'll stop that and turn it back over to Chase, but that's a lot to unpack there, because... Cho just defended Harry against not really a teacher, but definitely someone of authority in the school. So that was really sweet of her. And they're starting to kind of have normal conversation for the first time. Remember, he's been so nervous around her ever since he kind of noticed her in his third year. You know, this is this is two years removed here at age 15, starting to get more and more interested in, in the opposite gender. And so the fact that she defended him and thought he was really brave made him feel really good. But the main thing here is like, 
who the heck told Filch that he was ordering dung bombs and why did like they want to get Harry's letter to make sure he wasn't? That's what's going to be a big role, play rolling coming up later on in the book. And with that, brother, I'll turn it over to you, my guy. Yeah, man. You know what it kind of reminded me of? What? And, um, this is kind of ridiculous, and it's not this way because Harry's not this kind of person, but it kind of reminded me of if y'all have seen Night at the Roxbury, and I showed y'all this, I showed you this clip where they're like in the club trying to talk to those girls, and they're like telling them this story how we we're talking about like guys have to think of certain guys like have to think of something to try to figure out what to say just to try to talk to them when all they have to say is hi like all you have to say is hey how's it going but he's like yeah so i was like i was standing there i was on the telephone and guess who i was talking to guess who i was talking to and they're not responding and they're like Emilio Estevez, the Mighty Ducks guy, I swear. I swear, uh, the Mighty Ducks guy. I, I was like, Emilio! And they're just like staring there looking at him. Like, Joseph, you're like, yeah, like it's sunny outside today. Like, what do you say to that? Like, you're not going to be like, no, it's not hot outside. It's not hot at all, Harry. Like, why would you say that? So uh, it's just kind of funny. Um, I feel like Ron's almost like that Emilio guy. Yeah, what's up, man? The Mighty Ducks guy. I swear to God. <laughs> this is crazy, man. Um, so then this next couple parts here uh, is actually a pretty cool, uh, pretty kind of big part because it plays a big moment later on. So I'll read just a, about a page or so. But there's two things. So the ministry winds up getting a tip-off about Sirius. Uh, and I'll, I'll read you that real quick. And also it leads into, there's also a big article um, that winds up, uh, that talks about a trespass, a trespass at the ministry with Sturgis Podmore, which plays a, a big part later on. Is it cool if I read that yeah, section real it. quick? Yeah, do it. Do both of them. Heck okay. yeah. Cool. Thanks, my man. Um, so it says, The Ministry of Magic has received a tip-off from a reliable source that Sirius Black, notorious, was mass, notorious mass murderer, blah, 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 is currently hiding in London. Hermione read from her half in an anguished whisper. Lucius Malfoy, I bet anything, said Harry in a low, furious voice. He did recognize Sirius on the platform. What? said Ron, looking alarmed. You didn't say... Shh, said the other two. Ministry warns wizarding community that Black is very dangerous. Killed 13 people, broke out of Azkaban. The usual rubbish, Hermione concluded, laying down her half of the paper and looking fearfully at Harry and Ron. Well, he just won't be able to leave the house again, that's all, she whispered. Dumbledore did warn him not to. Harry looked down glumly at the bit of the prophet he had torn off. Most of the page was devoted to an advertisement from Madame Malkin's robes for all occasions which was apparently having a sale. Hey, he said, flattening it down so Hermione and Ron could both see it. Look at this. I've got all the robes I want, said Ron. No, said Harry. Look, this little piece here. Ron and Hermione bent closer to read it. The item was barely an inch long and placed right at the bottom of a column. It was headlined, Trespass at the Ministry. Sturgis Podmore, 38 of number 2, Laburnum Gardens Clapham has appeared in front of the Wizengamot charged with trespass and attempted robbery at the Ministry of Magic on 31st of August. Podmore was arrested by the Ministry of Magic. Watch wizard Eric Munch, 
who found him attempting to force his way through a top security door at 1 o'clock in the morning. Podmore, who refused to speak in his own defense, was convicted on both charges and then sentenced to six months in Azkaban. And that's going to play a big part later on um, because we start finding out things on what was going on with Sturgis Podmore um, and, and what was going on. And with that, I'll turn it back to you, man. So, yeah, that's a big thing with Sturgis Podmore there. Because, like, it's also like a foreshadow of... Uh, mm-hmm. Because, remember, Sturgis is the person that had failed his duties twice to show up, and Moody was kind of concerned about him. So now we know why. Like, he's been doing other stuff, and we will actually figure out later on the exact details of why he was where he was and why he did what he did. We'll just say for now, he, right. he, wasn't, he wasn't in his own mind. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> so on page 290... This is this is pretty good stuff here because I, I I've got to read a couple of these things. It's it's like it covers like Malfoy's like hackling and Ron's struggles in Quidditch a little bit uh, because this is their first Quidditch practice together and Malfoy knows how to get under Ron's skin and so he decides he's going to show up to the practice with Crab and Goyle and it kind of <laughs> it kind of boils over because it's going to be a reason later on when they play Slytherin the Gryffindor plays Slytherin. Uh, Bad things happen in that game, and I'm not going to give too much away, but this kind of forebodes that a little bit. So, starting here on page 290, this is this is a Quidditch practice here. All their teammates by Angelina were already in the changing room when they entered. All right, Ron, said George, winking at him. Yeah, said Ron, who'll be, he, he'll become quieter and quieter all the way down to the pitch. Ready to show us all up, Ickle Prefect? said Fred, emerging tousle-haired from the neck of his Quidditch robes. A slightly malicious grin on his face. Shut up, said Ron's stony face, pulling on his own team robes for the first time. They fitted him well, considering they had been Oliver Woods, who was broader in the shoulder. Okay, everyone, said Angelina, entering from the captain's office, already changed. Let's get to it. Alicia and Fred, if you can just bring the ball crate out for us. Oh, and there are a couple people out there watching, but I want you to just ignore them, all right? Something in her would-be casual voice made Harry think he might know who the uninvited spectators were. And sure enough, when they left the changing room for the bright sunlight of the pitch, it was a storm of catcalls and jeers from the Slytherin Quidditch team and assorted hanger-ons, who were grouped halfway up the empty stands and whose voices echoed loudly around the stadium. "'What's that Weasley's riding?' said Malfoy in a sneering drawl. Why would anyone put a flying charm on an oldie, moldy old log like that? And Crab, Goyle, and Pansy Parkinson gloffed and shrieked with laughter. Ron mounted his broom and kicked off from the ground, and Harry followed him, watching his ears turn red from behind. Ignore them, he said, accelerating up to Keltron. We'll see who's laughing after we play them. Exactly the attitude I want, Harry, said Angelina approvingly, soaring around them with a quaffle under her arm and slowing, however, slowing to hover on the spot in front of her airborne team. Okay, going to start with some passes just to warm up. The whole team, please. Hey, Johnson, what's up with that hairstyle anyways, shrieked Pansy Parkinson from below. Why would anyone want to look like they've got worms coming out of their head? Angelina swept her long braided hair out of her face and said calmly, spread out then, and let's see what we can do. And Harry reversed away from the others to the far side of the pitch. Ron fell backwards towards the opposite goal. Angelina raised a quaffle with one hand and threw it hard to Fred, who passed to George, who passed to Harry, who passed to Ron, who dropped it. The Slytherins, led by Malfoy, roared and screamed with laughter. 
Ron, who had pelted towards the ground to catch the quaffle before it landed, pulled out of the dive untidily so that he slipped sideways on his broom and returned to playing height, blushing. Harry saw Fred and George exchange looks, but uncharacteristically, neither of them said anything for which he was grateful. Pass it on, Ron, called Angelina as though nothing happened. Ron threw the quaffle to Alicia, who passed it back to Harry, who passed it to George. Hey, Potter, how's your scar feeling, called Malfoy. Sure you don't need a lie down? It must be, what, a whole week since you were in the hospital wing? That's a record for you, isn't it? Fred passed to Angelina, she reversed past to Harry, who had not been expecting it, but caught it in the very tips of his finger and passed it quickly to Ron, who lunged for it and missed by inches. Come on now, Ron, said Angelina crossly, as Ron dived for the ground again, chasing the quaffle. Pay attention. It would have been hard to say whether Ron's face of the quaffle was a deeper scarlet when he returned to playing height again. Malfoy and the rest of the Southern team were now howling with laughter. On his third attempt, Ron caught the quaffle, and perhaps out of relief, he passed it on so enthusiastically that it soared right through Katie's outstretched hands and hit her hard in the face. Sorry, groaned Ron as he zoomed forward to check whether he had done any damage. Get back in position, she's fine, barked Angelina, but as you're passing to a teammate, do try not to knock her off her broom, won't you? We've got bludgers for that. Now Katie's nose was bleeding, and down below the Slytherins were stamping their feet and jeering, and Fred and George converged on Katie. Here. Take this, Fred told her, handing her something small and purple from his pocket. It'll clear it up in no time. All right, said Angelina. Fred, George, go and get your bats and a bludger. Ron, get up to the goalpost. Harry, release the snitch when I say so. We're going to be aiming for Ron's goal, obviously. Harry zoomed off after the twins to fetch the snitch. Ron's making a right pig's ear of things, isn't he? muttered George as the three of them landed at the crate containing the balls and opened to extract one of the bludgers and the snitch. He's just nervous, said Harry. He was fine when I was practicing with him this morning. Yeah, well, I hope he hasn't peaked too soon, said Fred gloomily, and they returned to the air. When Angelina blew her whistle, Harry released the snitch, and Fred and George let the bludger fly. From that moment on, Harry was barely aware of what the others were doing. It was his job to recapture the tiny, fluttering golden ball that was worth 150 points to the Seekers team, and doing so required enormous speed and skill. He accelerated, rolling, swerving in and out of the chasers, the warm autumn air whipping his face, and the distant yells of Slytherin so much meaningless roaring in his ears, but soon, too soon, the whistle brought him to a halt again. Stop, 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 screamed Angelina. Ron, you're not covering your middle post. And Harry looked around at Ron, who was hovering in front of the left-handed hoop, leaving the other two completely unprotected. Oh, sorry. You keep shifting around while you're watching the chaser, said Angelina. Either stay in center position until you have to move to defend a hoop, or else circle the hoops, but don't drift vaguely off to one side. That's how you let in the last three goals. Sorry, Ron repeated, his face shining like a beacon against the bright blue sky. And Katie, can't you do something about that nosebleed? It's just getting worse, said Katie thickly, attempting to stem the flow with her sleeve. Harry glanced around at Fred, who was looking anxious and checking his pockets. He saw Fred pull out something purple, examine it, and for a second, he looked around at Katie, horror-struck. Well, let's try again. She was ignoring the Slytherins who had set up the new chant of Gryffindors are losers, Gryffindors are losers. But there was a certain rigidity about her seat on the broom nevertheless. And this time, they'd been flying for barely three minutes when Angelina's whistle sounded. And Harry, who had just sighted the snitch circling the opposite goalpost, pulled up freely, feeling distinctly aggrieved. What now? He said impatiently to Alicia, who was nearest. Katie, he said shortly. Harry turned and saw Angelina, Fred, and George all flying as fast as they could towards Katie. Harry and Elisa sped towards her, too. It was plain that Angelina had stopped training just in time, 
Kitty was now chalk white and covered in blood. She needs a hospital wing. Uh, we'll take her, said Fred. She uh, might have swallowed a blood blister pod by mistake. <laughs> well, there's no point continuing with no beaters and a chaser gone, Angelina said glumly as Fred and George zoomed off towards the castle supporting Katie between them. Come on, let's go and get changed. So, that's where I'll leave that part there, but they've had a miserable practice. Ron stinks at Quidditch, not good <laughs> at all. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, Malfoy getting under his skin and them making fun of him. That has a lot to do with it because, like we, like Harry was saying, when they practiced just those two, like he did pretty well. But uh, yeah, we now and then also Fred and George kind of messing up what of their uh, skiving snack boxes they gave Katie. That sucked because now she like almost died of blood loss. Like her face was chalk white, almost fell off her broom. They had to get her to the hospital wing. So my guy's uh, making a little uh, <laughs> mistake there. But anyways. Uh, that's where I'll leave it and turn it over to you, brother. Yeah, man. I mean, just some thoughts on Ron. Like, here's like the thing. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I want to even say like, oh, maybe this is like the guy that, you know, you have those people that aren't as good as players, but they're really good at coaching because he's followed Quidditch for so long. But it's like, how can I even say that at the moment? Like, you don't even like, you're not even responding to guarding the hoops in the center like that's like a soccer goalie or a hockey goalie just like drifting off to the side of the goalpost, <laughs> leaving it wide open like i don't i don't know like i mean it's like you kind of all through this series you've thought like oh ron's like you know at quidditch right like he's either he's got to have some talent there or like he knows the game so well like he would crush it like as a coach but now I'm starting to think, like, can he even, like, coach this sport? Well, like, here's a quick question. Would you trust Ron to coach your Quidditch team? Not playing. Like, that's a whole other story. But as far as coaching the team and the way he's followed Quidditch since the beginning, being, like, a diehard fan, and he's kind of grown up with it in his blood, how some of these coaches, you know, they're kind of like the golden boy because of what their family did. Do you think Ron would have been a good Quidditch coach or no? No. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> That's so sad. Like, I just so just sad. because someone has a lot of knowledge about a sport doesn't mean they'd make a good coach. Because when it comes to motivating your your players, that's a huge thing. And if he gets shook just by someone making fun of him from the stands, like he's not going to be a good motivator by any means. And then, you know, he might know some of the moves as he reads them in books, but getting his players to implement them and wanting to play for him, I don't see it. He doesn't have a galvanizing personality. And I, it just doesn't seem to make people better around him either. So, uh, short answer, no. I don't think he would be a good Quidditch coach. <laughs> I got to see your point on that because I, I didn't want to agree with that at first just because I want to give Ron, like, some respect because I feel bad for him, honestly. Like, I honestly feel bad for him. Like, I mean, it's like... It's that guy that would make a good fantasy Quidditch coach. <laughs> like, he could, judge his, he could choose his fantasy players really well, but... Yeah, you're right. Like, that's a huge part is, like, motivating your players. And even though you could probably call the plays, I guess, because you've studied it so well, which that makes me even wonder, too, because Ron still isn't the brightest guy. Like, he's still not like he's Hermione Granger or anything. He's definitely not Bill. <laughs> like, if Bill Weasley crushed it. Like, even, like, really, Fred and George, like, passed the, like, uh, are, I mean, 
you know, they pass their owls and stuff, and then Charlie, you know, he can apparate. So, I mean, like, they're all super smart. Like, Ron, I don't even know. Like, he's been copying Hermione's homework for the past, like, five years. And, like, I don't dude, know, man. Like, I want to give him so much, but it's, like, it's. I think you're right. Like, maybe, like, maybe just, like... I hate to say this, but be like the guy is like, maybe you should like just throw in the towel, Ron. Like, just realize like this isn't your thing. Like, you I honestly think sport. that we could make the argument, especially next book, that like even Ginny is more effective at doing things than Ron. Like, of, of everyone yeah. in the family, even his younger sister. Like, obviously, Bill is super successful, works in Green Gods. Charlie was one of the best uh, Quidditch players of their team back when he was in Hogwarts, and then he works with dragons, which is super cool, and then. Percy, as much as we don't like him, he was a prefect, a head boy, works for the Minister of Magic now. Uh, you know, Fred and George, like, they might not be smart, <laughs> but everyone loves them. They're wildly brilliant when it comes to, like, business standpoints and knowing what they're good at and wanting to go outside the box. Ginny, she's very talented as, like, a, a witch, as we'll figure out a little bit in this book, but mostly in next book, uh, Half-Blood Prince. But, like, you can really make the argument that Ron's kind of, like, the worst of all the Weasleys. <laughs> so sad, man. Like, I feel like, you know, not giving away any spoilers, but, like, the foreshadowing of, you know, who his kind of girl becomes to be. Like, she's definitely, like, the breadwinner in that house. <laughs> like, I feel like Ron's family loves her more than him. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's like, dude, like... I feel bad for him, really. Like, I, I, I do feel bad for him. But uh, that's a perfect transition, really, because at this point, right, you know, Ron comes back <laughs> from, like, his, his big practice. And uh, Hermione, um, my girl over here, she's like, how was practice? Rather coolly, half an hour later, as Harry and Ron climbed through the portrait hole into the Gryffindor common room, it was, Harry began, <laughs> Ron goes, completely lousy. Like, <laughs> just into it like that, said Ron in a hollow voice, sinking into a chair. Like, and you're, wow, really cool, Ron. Like, you're acting like you're four. Like, you're going to pout and sulk in the corner. In the words of, you know, Vince Vaughn from Wedding Crashers, do not sulk in the corner. Our attention to draws attention to yourself in a negative way. <laughs> in a negative way. And uh, so he's over there in the corner, right? And she goes, she looked up at Ron and her frostiness seemed to melt. Well, it was only your first one, she said consolingly. It's, it's bound to take time to... Who said it was me who made it lousy? Like, what? <laughs> like, like uh, whoa, 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 bro. Like, I would have put him in his place right there. Like, who are you trying to flip this around on me? Like, you're the one that just brought this up. I didn't say anything... No one said anything to you. You're the one cr coming up in my space, causing all the, all the negative vibes over here. You can take your negative Nancy and go walk right out that common room. That's what I would say about that, because I wouldn't want to hear anything about it. And then Hermione goes, uh, no one said Hermione, being super nice, right? Uh, looking taken aback. I thought I, you thought I was bound to be rubbish. No, of course I didn't. Look, you said it was lousy, so I just... I'm going to get started on some homework, said Ron angrily, and stomped off all the way to the staircase to the boys' dormitories and vanished from sight. Hermione turned to Harry. Was he lousy? No, said Harry loyally. Hermione raised her eyebrows. 
Well, I suppose he could have played better, <laughs> he muttered, but it was only his first training session, like like you said. Uh, so, like, Harry, you know, being the good boy, you know, like, sticking up for his best friend, but I think even Harry, like, in his mind was like, dude, like, you really, you really messed it up for us today. Like, like we can't even, like, bl- I can't even think of anyone to blame it on. Like, you, you, bro, like, it, like, it's like, Almost like when Ron, like, saved that one quaffle where he was so excited about it before he hit um, Katie Bell in the face. Like, it's, like, almost like that moment he wanted to be like, oh, yeah, man, but you see me catch that quaffle? Even at that point, if it didn't go south from that point, everyone would be like, yeah, I hate to bring it to you, bro, but that was still really bad. <laughs> you still are really bad. Like, you got a long way to improve. But then now it's like, yeah, man, like, even like your highlighted moment was trash. <laughs> like you are garbage. I, oh, that's so terrible. That's so mean. But it's like the truth hurts sometimes. Truth hurts, man. And and you got to be a real friend. Um, and from this point, you know, Ron, uh, like we were saying, man, like he's really not even the smartest guy because he's still wanting to copy Hermione all the time. Even in uh, Professor McGonagall working on that essay, like he keeps asking to copy Hermione. He goes, yeah, said Ron, rubbing slightly bloodshot eyes and throwing his fifth spoiled uh, bit of parchment into the fire beside them. Listen, shall we just ask Hermione if we can have a look when she's done? Here he glanced over at her. She was sitting with Crookshanks at her lap, chatting merrily to Jenny as a pair of knitting needles flashed in midair in front of her. Now knitting a pair of shapeless elf socks. No, he said heavily. You know she won't let us. And so they worked on it a while and the sky outside the windows became steadily darker slowly and the crowd in the common room began to thin again. At half past eleven, Hermione wandered over to them yawning. And then that's at page 295 in the middle. And it it just goes show like, you know, they're really having to gear up for this owls exam. But like, man, like... On top of that, you just basically told Hermione off right before this. And now you're going to come come over and be like, hey, so, like, I know, I know I told you I hate you, but I really would love it if I could borrow your homework. <laughs> I would really love it if you helped me out. Like, dude, he's digging holes, man. He He's over here. You got to go dig those holes. <laughs> yeah. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, Jay Nelly. All right, brother. So the next important thing that I have on here is this big note that Ron got from his brother Percy. They were just speaking about Percy. They didn't mean to do that. But uh, it, it, this is the first time we kind of hear from Percy since he uh, kind of disowned the family. <laughs> he just kind of left them out. But uh, anyways, this is what the contents of Percy's message reads. Dear Ron, I have only just heard from no less a person than the Minister of Magic himself, who has it from your new teacher, Professor Umbridge, that you become a Hogwarts Prefect. I was most pleasantly surprised when I heard this news and must firstly offer my congratulations. I must admit that I have always been afraid that you would take what we might call the Fred and George route, rather than following in my footsteps. So you can imagine my feelings on hearing you have stopped flouting authority and it decided to shoulder some real responsibility. But I want to give you more than congratulations, Ron. I want to give you some advice, which is why I am sending this at night rather than by the usual morning post. 
Hopefully you will be able to read this away from prying eyes and avoid awkward questions. From something the minister let slip when telling me you are now a prefect, I gather you are still seeing a lot of Harry Potter. I must tell you, Ron, that nothing could put you in danger of losing your badge more than continued fraternization with that boy. Yes, I am sure you are surprised to hear this. No doubt you will say that Potter has always been Dumbledore's favorite, but I feel bound to tell you that Dumbledore may not be in charge at Hogwarts much longer, and the people who count have a very different and probably more accurate view of Potter's behavior. I shall say no more here, but if you look at the Daily Prophet tomorrow, you will get a good idea of the way the wind is blowing, and see if you can spot yours truly. Seriously, Ron, you do not want to be tarred with the same brush as Potter. It could be very damaging to your future prospects, and I am talking here about life after school too. As you must be aware, given that our father escorted him to court, Potter, he had a disciplinary hearing this summer in front of a whole wizard gamut, and he did not come out of it looking too good. He got off on a mere technicality, if you ask me, and many of the people I've spoken to remain convinced of his guilt. It may be that you are afraid to sever ties with Potter. I know that he can be unbalanced, and for all I know, violent. But if you have any worries about this, or have spotted anything else in Potter's behavior that is troubling you, I urge you to speak to Dolores Umbridge, a really delightful woman, who I know will only be too happy to advise you. This leads me to my other bit of advice. As I have hinted above, Dumbledore's regime at Hogwarts may soon be over. Your loyalty, Ron, should not be to him, but to the school and the ministry. And I am very sorry to hear that so far Professor Umbridge is encountering very little cooperation from staff as she tries to make those necessary changes within Hogwarts that the ministry so ardently desires. Although she should find this easier from next week. Again, see the prophet tomorrow. I shall only say this. A student who shows himself willing to help Professor Umbridge now may be very well placed for a head boyship in a couple of years. I am sorry that I was unable to see more of you over the summer. It pains me to criticize our parents, but I am afraid I can no longer live under their roof while they remain mixed up with a dangerous crowd around Dumbledore. If you are writing to Mother at any point, you might tell her that a certain Sturgis Podmore, who is a great friend of Dumbledore's, has recently been sent to Azkaban for trespass at the Ministry. Perhaps that will open their eyes to the kind of petty criminals with whom they are currently rubbing shoulders. I count myself very lucky to escape the stigma of association with such people. The minister really could not be more gracious to me, and I do hope, Ron, that you will not allow family ties to blind you to the misguided nature of our parents' beliefs and actions either. I sincerely hope that in time they will realize how mistaken they were, and I shall of course be ready to ex and accept a full apology when that day comes. Please think over what I have said most carefully, particularly that bit about Harry Potter, and congratulations on becoming prefect, your brother, Percy. Dude, Percy's the worst. He's so pompous and boisterous. What a little ass he is, man. Like, he's just a... Think of he knows it all. Thinks he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Like, Percy sucks. I don't like him at all. <laughs> like, like, what happened, man? Like, I mean, it's like he like turn corrupt or something like well as soon as what he happened is he started fudge. working for the ministry of magic and he got a little bit of power and it went to his head man like <laughs> i think that's exactly yeah. what it was like because remember like he was barty crouch's like assistant and then 
when he couldn't figure like he didn't know and was trying to do all the work himself that Barty Crouch had disappeared like he got like under some serious trouble and instead of getting fired the Minister of Magic actually promoted him to like his own office and so everyone's like hey Percy like he's doing that for a reason like he wants someone within our family close to the ministry and Percy's like nuh-uh it was all my awesome work I've done over my years and everyone's like dude no, it's not. And he's like, yes, it is. I hate you all. I'm, le- I'm leaving this house, and I'm working for the Minister <laughs> of Magic. So that's what I think. He got a little bit of power, let it go to his head, and this is where he's at. Yeah, I mean, he's... And, like, it's not like he even deserved the power. Like, he's just really Fudge's teacher's pet. That's <laughs> exactly what he is. Exactly. Like, he's a little suck-up secretary. That's <laughs> what he is. Yeah, man. Uh, it's pretty sad. Like, you know, your family's always there for you, and he has just straight-up wrote his family off. Is <laughs> basically what he's done. So that that's wild stuff. So, kind of going a little bit further than this, so I'll actually let you take this part because I know there's some important stuff here. But just a quick thing is, you know, but page 301, Sirius actually appears in the fire. And so what I'll do is, since I read that nice little note from Percy, I'll let you go ahead and take this section about Sirius and his conversations with uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione and how that goes. Okay. Um, Yeah, I'll just read this conversation real quick. Just the important part. Um... So when uh, Sirius uh, starts, you know, he appears out of the fire and he keeps using the, the I guess the fire is like the, it's not the flu network. It's uh, the Gryffindor fire in the common room, but yeah, I don't, I think he's like using someone else's, unless he's using it in Grimald Place, he might be using it in Grimald Place, but I think that's where it kind of, I think he is using the, the kind of same thing like Amos Diggory did last right kind of thing, where Mrs. Weasley fed him toast out of the fire. I think, I think it's something like that. Um, That's what I was thinking too, because I was wondering if it was connected to the flu network. Because what kind of happens? Right. I think yeah. Year. I think I think that's a good a good point because yeah, someone who tries to find him, <laughs> yeah, I'll say that. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Page three hundred one. So, take it away, brother. Yeah, brother. Um, so when he appears in the fire here, so uh, at first he you know, like Hermione kind of looks over and goes, "Serious his head." Hermione repeated, you mean like when he wanted to talk to you during the Triwizard Tournament? But he wouldn't do that now. It would be too... Serious! She gasped, gazing at the fire. Ron dropped his quill. There in the middle of the dancing flames sat Sirius's head, long dark hair falling around his grinning face. I was starting to think you'd go to bed before everyone else had disappeared, he said. I've been checking every hour. You've been popping into the fire every hour, Harry said, half laughing. Just a few seconds to check if the coast was clear yet. But what if you'd be seen, said Hermione anxiously. Well, I think a girl, first year by the look of her, might have got a glimpse of me earlier, but don't worry, Sirius said hastily as Hermione clapped a hand over her mouth. I was gone that the moment she looked back at me. I'll bet she just thought I was oddly shaped at log or something. But Sirius, this is taking an awful risk, Hermione began. You sound like Molly, said Sirius. This was the only way I could come up with uh, with of answering Harry's letter without resorting to a code. And codes are breakable. At the mention of Harry's letter, Hermione and Ron had both turned to stare at him. You didn't say you'd 
written to Sirius, said Hermione accusingly. I forgot, said Harry, which was perfectly true. His meeting with Cho and Owlery had driven everything before it out of his mind. Don't look at me like that, Hermione. There was no way anyone would have got secret information out of it. Was there, Sirius? No. It was very good, said Sirius, smiling. Anyway, we better be quick, just in case we're disturbed. Your scar? What about? Ron began, but Hermione said quickly, Well, tell you after. Afterwards. Go on, Sirius. Well, I know it can't be fun when it hurts, but we don't think it's anything to really worry about. It kept aching all last year, didn't it? Yeah, and Dumbledore said it happened whenever Voldemort was feeling a powerful emotion, said Harry, ignoring as usual. Ron and Hermione winces. So maybe he was just, I don't know, really angry or something the night I had the detention. Well, now he's back. It's bound to hurt more often, said Sirius. So you don't think it had anything to do with Umbridge touching me when I was in detention with her, Harry asked. I doubt it, said Sirius. I know her by reputation, and I'm sure she's no death eater. She's foul enough to be one, said Harry darkly, and Ron and Hermione nodded vigorously in, in agreement. Yes, but the world isn't split into good people and death eaters, said Sirius with a wry smile. I know she's a nasty piece of work, though. You should hear Remus talk about her. Does Lupin know of her? asked Harry quickly, remembering Umbridge's comments in Dangerous Half-Breeds during her first lesson. No, said Sirius, but she drafted a bit of anti-werewolf legislation two years ago that makes it almost impossible for him to get a job. Harry remembered how much shabbier Lupin looked these days, and his dislike umbrage deepened even further. "'What she got against werewolves,' said Hermione angrily. "'Scared of them, I expect,' said Sirius, smiling at her indignation. "'Apparently, she loathes part humans. She campaigned to have her merpeople rounded up and tagged last year, too. "'Imagine wasting your time and energy persecuting merpeople when there are little toe-rags-like creature on the loose.' Ron laughed, but Hermione looked upset. Serious, she said reproachfully. Honestly, if you made a bit of an effort with Creature, I'm sure he'd respond. After all, you are the only member of his family he's got left. And Professor Dumbledore said, So what are Umbridge's lessons like? Sirius interrupted. Is she training you all to kill half-breeds? No, said Harry, ignoring Hermione affronted, looking at being cut off in her defensive Creature. She's not letting us use magic at all. All we do is read the stupid books, said Ron. Ah, well, that figures, said Sirius. Our information from inside the ministry is that Fudge doesn't want you trained in combat. Trained in combat, repeated Harry incredulously. What does he think we're doing? Forming some sort of wizard army? That's exactly what he thinks you're doing, said Sirius. Or rather, that's exactly what he's afraid of Dumbledore's doing. Forming his own private army which he will be able to take on the Ministry of Magic. There was a pause at this. Then Ron said, That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Including all that stuff that Luna Lovegood comes out with? So we're being prevented from learning defense against the Dark Arts because Fudge is scared? We'll use spells against the Ministry? Said Hermione, looking fur furious. Yep, said Sirius. Fudge thinks Dumbledore will stop at nothing to seize power. He's getting more paranoid about Dumbledore by the day. It's a matter of time before he has Dumbledore arrested on some sort of trumped-up charge. This reminded Harry of Percy's letter. Do you know if there's going to be anything about Dumbledore in the Daily Prophet tomorrow? 
Only Ron's brother Percy reckons there will be. I don't know. I haven't said serious. I haven't seen anyone from the order all weekend. They're all busy. It's just been Creature and me here. There was a definite note of bitterness in Sirius's voice. So you haven't had any news about Hagrid either? Ah, said Sirius. Well, he was supposed to be back by now. No one's sure what happened to him. Then, seeing their stricken faces, he added quickly, But Dumbledore's not worried, so don't you three get yourselves in a state. I'm sure Hagrid's fine. But if he was supposed to be back by now, said Hermione in a small worried voice, Madame Maxine was with him. We've been in touch with her, and she says they got separated on the journey home, but there's nothing to suggest that he's hurt. Well, nothing suggesting suggests he's not perfectly okay. Unconvinced, Harry, Ron, and Hermione exchanged worried looks. Listen, don't go asking too many questions about Hagrid, said Sirius hastily. It'll just draw even more attention to the fact that he's not back, and I know Dumbledore doesn't want that. Hagrid's tough. He'll be okay. And when they did not appear cheered by this serious added, when's your next Hogs Hogsmeade meet anyway? Weekend, anyways. I was thinking we got away with the dog disguise at the station, didn't we? I thought I could. No," said Harry and Hermione together, very loudly. "Serious? Didn't you see the Daily Prophet?" said Hermione anxiously. "Oh, that," <laughs> said Sirius, grinning. "They're always guessing where I am. <laughs> they haven't really got a clue." Yeah, but we think this time they have, said Harry. Something Malfoy said on the train made us think he knew it was you. And his father was on the platform. Serious, you know. Lucius Malfoy. So don't come up here, whatever you do. If Malfoy recognizes you again... All right, all right, all right. I've got the point, said Sirius. He looked most displeased. Just an idea. Thought you might like to get together. I would. I don't want you chucked back into Azkaban, said Harry. There was a pause in which Sirius looked out of the fire at Harry, a crease between his sunken eyes. You're less like your father than I thought, he said finally, a definite coolness in his voice. The risk would have been what made it fun for James. Look, well, I better get going. I can hear Creature coming down the stairs, said Sirius, but Harry was sure he was lying. I'll write to tell you a time I can make it back into the fire, then shall I? If you can stand to risk it, there was a tiny pop in the place where Sirius's head had been was flickering flame once more and i'll turn it back over to you man yeah so i, I found that kind of interesting because Sirius kind of was being a little pouty little girl about that like you know like <laughs> he was he uh was mad that harry didn't want him to risk his life to come up and, and visit him he's like well i guess you're less like your dad than i thought well i hear creature coming gotta go now talk to you later bye like <laughs> he's just he but i i know i made it like a cruel joke there about it but the, the truth of the matter is he is very lonely he even said like now many of the order has been uh, visiting they've been very busy he's been stuck there lonely creatures so like he wants some sort of adventure he wants an excuse to to kind of break the rules because that's kind of who, who Sirius is he's you know like they were saying James and Sirius were like Fred and George before Fred and George were Fred and George right like that was talked about back in Prisoner of Azkaban when they were talking about Sirius Black and uh, Madame Rose Murta's uh, three broomsticks so the thing is, is that it's it's starting to get to him. And reading this book now versus when I read it as a kid, you know, you don't really met, like notice all the build up to what happens with him later on in the book. But going back through it and reading it, having a detail, like I'm starting to understand and I, I get it. But uh, yeah, man. So going a little bit further from here, getting into chapter 15, the Hogwarts High Inquisitor. 
going to read this uh, excerpt from the Daily Prophet. Ministry seeks educational reform. Dolores Umbridge appointed first ever High Inquisitor. In a surprise move last night, the Ministry of Magic passed new legislation giving itself an unprecedented level of control at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The minister has been growing uneasy about the goings-on at Hogwarts for some time, said junior assistant to the minister, Percy Weasley. He is now responding to concerns voiced by anxious parents who feel the school may be moving in a direction they do not approve. And this is not the first time in recent weeks Fudge has used new laws to affect improvements at the Wizarding School. As early as August 30th, Educational Decree 22 was passed to ensure that in the event the current headmaster was unable to provide a candidate for a teaching post, the ministry should select an appropriate person. That's how Delorge Umbridge came to be appointed to teaching the staff to, to teaching staff at Hogwarts, said Weezy last night. Dumbledore couldn't find anyone, so the minister put in Umbridge, and of course, she's been an immediate success. <laughs> she's had a what? said Harry loudly. Wait, there's more, said Hermione grimly. An immediate success, totally revolutionizing the teaching of defense against the dark arts and providing the ministry with on-the-ground feedback about what's really happening at Hogwarts. It is the last function that the ministry has now formalized with the passing of Educational Decree 23, which creates the new position of Hogwarts High Inquisitor. This is an exciting new phase in the minister's plan to get grips with what are some call falling standards at Hogwarts, said Weasley. The Inquisitor will have powers to inspect her fellow educators and make sure that they are up to scratch. Professor Umbridge has been offered this position in addition to her own teaching post, and we are delighted to say that she has accepted the ministry's new moves have received enthusiastic support from parents of students at Hogwarts. I feel much easier in my mind now that I know Dumbledore is being subjected to fair and objective evaluation, said Lucius Malfoy, 41, speaking from his Wiltshire Manor last night. Many of us with our children's best interests at heart have been concerned about some of Dumbledore's eccentric decisions in the last few years, and will be glad to know that the ministry is keeping an eye on the situation. Among those eccentric decisions are undoubtedly the controversial staff appointments previously described in this newspaper, which have included the hiring of werewolf Remus Lupin, half-giant Rubius Hagrid, and the delusional ex-Auror Mad-Eye Moody. Rumors abound, of course, that Albus Dumbledore, once supreme mugwump of the International Confederation of Wizards and chief warlock of the Wizened Gamut, is no longer up to the task of managing the prestigious School of Hogwarts. I think the appointment of the High Inquisitor is a first step towards ensuring that Hogwarts has a headmaster in whom we can all repose confidence, said a ministry insider last night. Wizengamma elders Griselda Marchbanks and Tiberius Ogden have resigned in protest at the introduction of the post of a high inquisitor to, high, to Hogwarts. Hogwarts is a school, not an outpost of Cornelius Fudge, said Madame Marchbanks. This is a further disgusting attempt to discredit Albus Dumbledore. For a full account of Madame Marchbanks' alleged links to subversive goblin groups, turn to page 17. And that's the end of the uh, excerpt in the Daily Prophet. So you even you guys even show that even the people who do support Dumbledore, they're gonna mudsling on their name too. Like that girl is like, oh, this is another further attempt to to discredit Albus. Like, oh, well, you guys might want to check her possible links to Goblin shit. <laughs> like, like just for no reason. Didn't need to add that at all. But uh, so now, what does this mean? Dol Dolores Umbridge now is the High Inquisitor, meaning she has the ability to inspect and put on probation the teachers at Hogwarts. And that's going to pose an issue for some. <laughs> so from there, uh, I'm going to just go over the... Because we actually get to read about the owl letter grades. 
So this is, a, you know, actually one of my favorite lines at the top of page 311. It's pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll read here. The letter grades are as such, right? So O is for outstanding. That's a top grade. Then E for exceeds expectations. A for acceptable. P for poor. D for dreadful. And T for troll. Those are the grades of the owls. And one of my favorite lines here, and I'll turn it over to Chase, is at the top of page 311 where George says, I have always thought Fred and I should have got E in everything because we exceeded expectations just by turning up for the exams. <laughs> so thought that was pretty funny. But with that, I'll turn it over to Chase. Yeah, man. No, that, that's an awesome part, too. Um... Uh, I do want to say this because you know I'm a Snape guy. I just want to read this one paragraph. When Harry gets his Moonstone essay back, of course he gives him a D for dreadful. And like I'm sure he, he's definitely a lot more tough on Harry. I would say, uh, which is ironic given like Snape's future. We find out later. Like you can almost even put in perspective like why maybe he's a little bit tougher on him. But it, yeah, he's definitely. <laughs> Definitely not the nicest either, but he just goes after he gives him the D. I have awarded you the grades you would have received if you presented this work in your owl, said Snape with a smirk as he swept among them, passing back their homework. This should give you a realistic idea of what to expect in your examination. Snape reached in front of the class and turned on his heel to face them. The general standard of this homework was abysmal. Most of you would have failed had this been your examination. I expect to see a great deal more effort for this week's essay on various varieties of venom antidotes, or shall I have to start handing out detentions to those dunces who get D's? <laughs> like, he always has to have, like, an extra word on top of it. <laughs> like, I'm going to put a little extra emphasis on these for you guys. So, uh... Snape, my boy, man. <laughs> Snape's my boy. I love him. I don't care. Maybe it's because I always... I, I don't know. It's like I've never been the bad boy, but it's like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, we got to gotta show you attitude a little bit so you're not putting up with that SHIT in this class. Not, how very... Let me inform Dumbledore on how very behind you are. <laughs> oh, so great, man. Uh, next thing, right before I turn it back over to you, so... Uh, then you have like you know professor umbridge like she's starting to do she reminded me of like if you remember like in elementary school and that sort of thing where teachers would get audited by like the principal like the principal would like sit in the class and like not say anything and then audit everybody um so like she's auditing basically trelawney and then on page uh, 315, I'll read this little section here. It's like, she basically makes Professor Trelawney, like, cry. Like, it was really sad, almost. Like, I, I kind of felt bad for her. And I'm not a Professor Trelawney fan by all means. Like, I really don't care for her. I think she's kind of annoying. But, like, I really felt bad for her, kind of. Um, so, on the last paragraph of 313, she goes, Now, said Umbridge, looking up at Trelawney, You've been at this post how long, exactly? 
Professor Trelawney scowled at her, arms crossed and shoulders hunched as though wishing to protect herself as much as possible from the indignity of the inspection. After a slight pause, in which she seemed to decide that the question was not so offensive, that she could reasonably ignore it, she said in a deeply resentful tone, "'Nearly sixteen years.' "'Quite a period,' said Professor Umbridge, making a note on her clipboard. "'So, it was Professor Dumbledore who appointed you?' "'That's right,' said Professor Trelawney shortly. Professor Umbridge made another note. "'And you are the great-great-granddaughter of the celebrated seer Cassandra Trelawney?' "'Yes,' said Professor Trelawney, holding her head a little higher, another note on the clipboard. "'But I think... Correct me if I am mistaken that you are the first in your family since Cassandra to be possessed of second sight. These things often skip er, three generations, said Professor Trelawney. These things often skip er, uh, three generations, said Professor Trelawney. Professor Umbridge's toad-like smile widened. Of course, she said sweetly, making yet another note. Well... If you could just predict something for me then? She looked up inquiringly, still smiling. Professor Trelawney had stiffened as though unable to believe her ears. I don't understand you, said Professor Trelawney, clutching convulsively at the shawl around her scrawny neck. I'd like you to make a prediction for me, said Professor Umbridge very clearly. Harry and Ron were not the only people watching and listening sneakily from behind their books now. Most of the class were staring at transfixed at Professor Trelawney as she drew up herself to her full height, her beads and bangles clinging. The inner eye does not see upon command, she said in scandalized tones. I see, said Professor Umbridge softly, making yet another note on her clipboard. I, I, but, but, but wait, said Professor Trelawney suddenly in an attempt at her usual ethereal voice, though mystical effect was ruined somewhat by the way it was shaking with anger. I think, I think I do see something, something that concerns you. Why? I see something, something dark, something grave, peril. Professor Trelawney pointed a shaking finger at Professor Umbridge, who continued to smile blandly at her eyebrows raised. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. You are in grave danger, Professor Trelawney finished dramatically. There was a pause. Professor Umbridge surveyed Professor Trelawney. Right. She said softly, scribbling on her clipboard once more. Well, if that's really the best you can do. She turned away, leaving Professor Trelawney standing rooted to the spot, her chest heaving. Harry caught Ron's eye knew that Ron was thinking exactly the same as he was. They both knew that Professor Trelawney was an old fraud, but on the other hand, they loathed Unbridge. So much that they felt very much on Trelawney's side until she swooped down on them a few seconds later that was well she said snapping her long fingers under harry's nose uncharacteristically characteristically brisk let me see what you start you've made on your dream diary please and by that time she had interrupted harry's dreams at the top of her voice all of which even the ones that involved eating porridge apparently foretold a gruesome and early death he was feeling much less sympathetic towards her all the while, Professor Umbridge stood a few feet away, making notes on that clipboard, and when the bell rang, she descended the silver ladder first, so that she was waiting for them all when they reached the Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson ten minutes later. And, like, I mean, it just goes to show, like, 
Umbridge don't give no Fs. <laughs> like, she does not care. I don't care how long you've been there, and then I'll let you take it from here because she even kind of stands up against someone we've thought very highly of since the beginning. Just goes to show, doesn't care. Like, she, she is taking her power to the top level here. Yeah. You know, the, I just had, like, the foreshadows there because, like, it's funny because we talked about this before about mm-hmm. Professor Trelawney. She gives fake predictions but somehow like they always kind of come true even though like they're for sure fake yeah because like she predicted a a grave peril for umbrage right like you said on the first paragraph page 315 then she also predicts an early death for harry so like it's just funny that like she she says these things and even though that's not a real prediction it's still uh it kind of comes to pass in a way (laughs) i'll say that but yeah Anyways, very generic though. Oh, super like, generic. Almost, of course, like you have to like really read into it. But I'm saying like, like she can still hang her hat on by saying these things. You know what I mean? Like it's just <laughs> funny that you know she's only made two actual prophecies and predictions that were real. But like even the ones that she does to keep her position at the school, like she has evidence to say, hey, these things actually happened. If you look at it this way, this way, this way, this way. You know what I mean? So. Right. <laughs> Anyways, I'll move on from there to get into page 316. We're back into Umbridge's room. And, guys, I'm just going to give you kind of like the bullet points of this to kind of move our way through it. You know, the biggest thing here is that they, she basically they already tells him, all right, Wands away. Let's start reading this book. And Hermione's like, well, I already read this book. So, like, yeah. And she's like, oh, well, if you read this book, then you should be able to tell us what, you know, he thinks about counter jinxes. And Hermione's like, this is what he says about it. I did read the book, so don't he, don't try to challenge me up in this place. And I also disagree with him too. And so, you know, she's like, "You you disagree with a, a celebrated author? Oh, Mrs. Granger." So, anyways, they argue about counter jinxes, and Umbridge ultimately takes five points from Gryffindor. And like you were saying, Umbridge started kind of starts trashing on everyone that they've had as defense against the dark art teachers like even dean thomas speaks up and says, like yo listen if you're talking about lupin he's one of the best we've ever had like well you're not someone that's uh licensed to say on that as a student mr thomas <laughs> like you know so yeah she trashes uh gilderoy lockhart which you know she should trashes the professor lupin terrible mistake trashes moody which you know honestly she's got a point of everyone outside of lupin <laughs> but she does yeah. say, with the possible exception of Professor Quirrell, like she's saying, Professor Quirrell might have been a good teacher for these guys. And like Harry's like, um, excuse me, he had Lord Voldemort <laughs> on the back of his head. Like, what the heck do you mean? That <laughs> probably the worst. The actual, <laughs> the, the actual worst. worst. Like literally the actual <laughs> worst. And then because of that, he because he said Lord Voldemort again in his classroom and said that he was back or that he's on Quirrell's head, she gives him another week's worth of detention. Then because of that. The next day, Angelina goes, finds Harry at the Gryffindor breakfast table and screams at him. And, Mrs. and Professor McGonagall ends up taking five points from each, both Angelina for screaming and Harry for getting another detention. And, like, like McGonagall's at this point, like, remember she kind of, like, had Harry side a little bit the first one? was like, ah, come here, have a biscuit potter. This time she's like, you idiot. <laughs> like, I told you not to do this. <laughs> like, you need to learn how to can handle yourself, boy. You gotta handle yourself. <laughs> <laughs> gotta handle yourself, boy. Gotta handle oh, yourself man. better. 
but that's an inside joke between me and Jane Ellie when we've talked about we've gone off on yeah. each other before. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> good times, man. Good times. <laughs> and then uh, the next thing I got here is on page 320, talking about when Professor Umbridge finally inspects Professor McGonagall's class. And this is a great moment here. So I'm actually going to read from the first him <laughs> through the end of this page because she, uh, she did some good <laughs> stuff. So <laughs> Great stuff. She, she goes, him, said Professor Umbridge, employing the same silly little girl cough that she had used to interrupt Dumbledore on the first night of term. Professor McGonagall ignored her. Seamus handed back Harry's essay. Harry took it without looking at him and saw to his relief that he had managed an A. Right then, everyone, listen closely. Dean Thomas, if you do that to the mouse again, I shall put you in detention. Most of you have now successfully vanished your snails, and even those who were left with a certain amount of shell have the gist of the spell. Today we shall be... <laughs> said Professor Umbridge. Yes, said Professor McGonagall, turning around her eyebrows so close together they seemed to form one long, severe line. I was just wondering, Professor, whether you received my note telling you the date and time of your inspect... Obviously, I received it, or I would have asked you what you are doing in my classroom, <laughs> said Professor McGonagall, turning her back firmly on Professor Umbridge. Many of the students exchanged looks of glee. As I was saying, today we shall be practicing the altogether more difficult banishment of mice. Now, the vanishing spell, ahem. <laughs> I wonder, said Professor McGonagall in cold fury, turning on Professor Umbridge, how you expect to gain an idea of my usual teaching methods if you continue to interrupt me. You see, I do not generally permit people to talk when I am talking. <laughs> and Professor Umbridge looked as though she had just been slapped in the face. And she did not speak, but straightened the parchment on her clipboard and began scribbling furiously, looking supremely unconcerned. The Professor McGonagall addressed the class once more. So, I thought that was uh, really awesome how she kind of put Umbridge in her place, in her own classroom. <laughs> like, like, obviously I received it, or I would ask you what you are doing in my class. <laughs> like, that was badass. <laughs> Go Professor McGonagall. I've always liked her, but like in big moments like this when she really shows up, it just gives me a deeper appreciation professor, for, for Professor McGonagall. And even at the end, uh, Professor Umbridge says, uh, Very well, you will receive the results of your inspection in ten days' time. I can hardly wait, <laughs> Professor McGonagall in cold indifference. So I thought that was pretty cool there. Now, uh, the next thing I've got in on page three twenty-two is we got care of magical creatures now. And Professor Umbridge is is uh, inspecting care of magical creatures, which as right now is still Professor Grubbly Plank, and she uses this time not to really inspect what she's doing. And she does say like, "Oh, at least you know what you're talking about," kind of throwing shade at Hagrid. But a lot of what she's trying to do is get information on where Hagrid is. And so that's that's pretty sneaky. But to Professor... Really yeah, for sure. To Professor Grubbly's plank, though, she gave up nothing. He's, she's like, nope, no idea. Professor Grubbler called me, <laughs> asked if I would take it. I said yes as a favor, and here we are. Like, let's move on, baby. <laughs> like, she did her thing. Like, you know, she, she definitely... Uh, didn't give up anything. I'm not, I'm not even sure if she really knew anything anyways. I think it might have been honest. Like, she, like you know, Professor Grubbly Plank isn't someone that's generally in the know of stuff. So I think that she might have been honest. But I still like the fact that she showed her loyalty to Dumbledore instead of, you know, yeah. trying to kiss ass with the Ministry and get some extra brownie points and make up some shit or something, you know? So Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> I think that's a good point real quick. Sorry not to interrupt you. Just, like, these professors, like... Let's be real, like, they do not like her. Like, she is not a liked um, professor, especially after this rule. Yeah. Where she gets, like, 
uh, this role of like you know the high inquisitor or whatever high inquisitor (laughs) inquisitor yeah sorry my my words focus on my words here um (laughs) she is not like that's the thing like these professors do not like her and i i almost feel like it makes you wonder if there's like a rift between the faculty at Hogwarts and then the administration at the ministry. What do you think about that? Oh, there's 100%. Like, that's why they're they, they trying to get control of it as it is. Like, they want... They, like, Dumbledore has been doing stuff there. Like, everyone in Hogwarts seems to respect Dumbledore. Even people who've got dark, shady pasts, like Professor Snape, always, like, like, love and respect Dumbledore. I don't think there's any teacher there that wishes Dumbledore wasn't the headmaster. Like, none to right. my knowledge that I can think of. Obviously, besides Professor Umbridge, but she's new. I'm talking about from the totality of the staff. He seems to be pretty well-liked and respected. And all of a sudden, like, the ministry's coming in, basically trying to change everything they're doing in one year's time. Not even a full year. Like, right now, they're only, what, at January? Like, halfway through the year or whatever? Whatever right. they're in right now? And she's already making a... Not even yet. It's not even, it's not even Christmas time. My apologies. We're still, like, in yeah, the fall. Not even Christmas We're, yet. we're like, we're two in months into November. the school year. We're, like, like a Halloween area. So, like, <laughs> like what the heck? Like, she's in there trying to turn the place upside down. Not, like, you know, the ministry. Not only are they, like, putting her in there and kind of spying on what they're doing. They're giving her power over the staff members who, like, Professor Trelawney has said, she's been working there for 16 years. This girl's been working here for two months, and you're going to give her the opportunity to critique my class and what, what I do as a teacher? No, of course there's a huge rift between the, the ministry and administration and the staff at Hogwarts, for sure, man. Yeah. You made a really good point, by the way, too. I mean, even the ministry, uh, whether they like him or not, respects Dumbledore. I mean, even Fudge really respects Dumbledore. Otherwise, he wouldn't be threatened by him at all. Um, I mean, they talked about earlier in the book you know they thought Dumbledore was going to wind up being head of the ministry and that's part of the reason why uh, Fudge has been so threatened all these years so you made a really good point like I don't know I haven't read about anyone besides I guess like this person Umbridge that comes out of kind of nowhere and I still think I still feel like she has respect for Dumbledore I just think it's she doesn't want to respect him or like him but i don't know anyone that wouldn't respect dumbledore especially because you know kind of like how they say in van helsing your reputation precedes you <laughs> it definitely does so after that back to you man yeah no i, I agree with the 100 percent. i think I mean, the the biggest show and point of like you can dislike somebody but still respect them and the biggest evidence of this is like Lord Voldemort, like he doesn't doesn't want any smoke with Dumbledore, <laughs> like you know what I mean, <laughs> like so it's one of those things that even though he's widely considered the most powerful wizard of all time, talk about Lord Voldemort, like he respects Albus Dumbledore enough to know that like hey this guy might not be one I want to mess with freely, like you know what I mean, so yeah. you know if Dumbledore, if Voldemort has uh, respect for Dumbledore's abilities, you're damn sure Fudge and Professor Umbridge do too, you know if they just want to try to take away his power as best they can, so. Exactly. All right, let's go into this here about the owls for care of magical creatures. I'll read from page 323 to the first paragraph on 324, talking about Umbridge took a different tack in this class and wandered among the students this time, questioning them on magical creatures. Most people were able to answer well, and Harry's spirits were lifted somewhat. At least the class was not letting Hagrid down. Overall, said Professor Umbridge, returning to Professor Grubbly Plank, her side after a lengthy interrogation of Dean Thomas, how do you, 
as a temporary member of staff, an objective outsider, I suppose you might say, how do you find Hogwarts? Do you feel you receive enough support from the school management? Oh yes, Dumbledore's excellent, said Professor Grubbly Plank heartily. No, I'm very happy with the th way things are run. Very happy indeed. Looking politely incredulous, Dumbledore made a, uh, Dumbledore made a tiny note on her clipboard and went on. And what are you planning to cover with this class this year, assuming, of course, that Professor Hagrid does not return? Oh, I'll take him through the creatures that most often come up in the Owl, said Professor Grubbly Plank. Not much left to do. They've studied unicorns and nifflers. I thought we'd cover porlocks and Neasles, make sure they can recognize Krups and Gnarls, you know. Well, you seem to know what you're doing at any rate, said Professor Umbridge, making a very obvious tick on her clipboard. Harry did not like the emphasis that she put on you and liked it even less when she put her next question to Goyle. Now, I hear there have been injuries in this class. Goyle gave a stupid grin, and Malfoy hastened to answer the question. That was me, he said. I was slashed by a hippogriff. A hippogriff, said Professor Umbridge, now scribbling frantically. Only because he was stu too stupid to listen to what Hagrid told him to do, said Harry angrily. Both Ron and Hermione groaned, and Professor Umbridge turned her head slowly in Harry's direction. Another night's detention, I think, she said softly. Well, thank you very much, Professor Grubbly Plank. I think that's all I need here. And you will be receiving the results of your inspection within ten days. Jolly good, said Professor Grubbly Plank, and Professor Umbridge set off across the lawn back to the castle. So, like we were just talking there, even Professor Grubbly Plank really enjoys the way things are run at Hogwarts, under Dumbledore. Yeah, you know, as in a joke to get outside, like, Umbridge was upset that she liked the way things were run. But I thought it was really funny how when Harry decides to talk back, like, Hermione and Ron are just like, oh, here we go again. Like, you know, like, oh, like, why, Harry? Why? Just handle yourself, Harry. <laughs> handle yourself. Handles, you gotta handle yourself, bro. I handle mine, uh, bro. I handle, I handle mine. mine. <laughs> so, with, with that, my guy, I'll, Show us who you are. I'll turn Show it back over to you for page 325, where we get a really cool um, proposal from one Hermione Granger. So, uh, I am gonna read this part, because this is a big... Because this is really important. Yeah, um, honestly, all the way, like, up. page 325 through page 328, it's a huge thing. You should read the whole damn thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I try to be efficient, but yeah, so I'll, I'll read this, but this is, this is a big part, and this is really important. Um, so starting on page 325 here, this is when it starts off with Ron and Hermione just kind of talking about Umbridge, and then it's going to go into what's important. But so after they're talking about Umbridge, they're like, we should do something about her, and then uh, Hermione goes, well, said, uh, well, said Hermione tentatively. You know, I was thinking today. She shot a slightly nervous look at Harry and then plunged on. I was thinking that. Maybe the time's come when we should just, just do it ourselves. Do what ourselves? Said Harry suspiciously, still floating his hand in the essence of mur Mertlap tentacles. So that's a big point, too, I was going to say. Like, she put... This goes in my interesting facts during our bonus episode next week. She put his hand in those Mertlap tentacles because he had just come back from that detention in Defense Against the Dark Arts to heal his hand. So that's a big point there. Uh, and she goes, Well, learn Defense Against the Dark Arts ourselves, said Hermione. Come off it, groaned Ron. You want us to do extra work, do you? Realize Harry and I are behind on homework again, and it's only the second week? But this is much more important than homework, said Hermione. Harry and Ron goggled at her. I didn't think there was anything in the universe more important than homework, said Ron. 
Don't be silly. Don't be silly. Of course there is," said Hermione. And Harry saw with an ominous feeling that her face was suddenly alight with the kind of uh, fervor that spew usually inspired in her. It's about preparing ourselves, like Harry said in Umbridge's first lesson. But what's waiting out there? It's about making sure we really can defend ourselves. If we don't learn anything for a whole year, we can't do much by ourselves," said Ron in a defeated voice. I mean, all right, we can go and look jinxes up in a library and try and practice them, I suppose. No, I agree. We've gone past the stage where we can just learn things out of books, said Hermione. We need a teacher, a proper one, who can show us how to use spells and correct us if we're going wrong. If you're talking about Lupin, Harry began. No, no, I'm not talking about Lupin, said Hermione. He's too busy with the order anyways. The most we can see him is during Cogsmeade on weekends, and that's not nearly often enough. Who then? said Harry, frowning at her. Hermione heaved a very deep sigh. Isn't it obvious? she said. I'm talking about you, Harry. There was a moment's silence. A light night breeze rattled the window panes behind Ron and the fire guttered. About me what? said Harry. I'm talking about you teaching us defense against the dark arts. Harry stared at her. Then he turned to Ron, ready to exchange the exasperated looks they sometimes shared when Hermione elaborated on far-fetched schemes like spew to Harry's consternation. However, Ron did not look exasperated. He was frowning slightly, apparently thinking. Then he said, That's an idea. What's an idea? said Harry. You, said Ron, teaching us to do it. But Harry was grinning now. Sure, the pair of them were pulling his leg, but I'm not a teacher. I can't. Harry, you're the best in the year at Defense Against the Dark Arts, said Hermione. Me? said Harry, now grinning more broadly than ever. No, I'm not. You've beaten me in every test. Actually, I haven't, said Hermione coolly. You beat me in our third year, the only year we both sat the test and had a teacher who actually knew the subject. But I'm not talking about test results, Harry. Look at what you've done. How do you mean? You know what? I'm not sure I want someone this stupid teaching me, Ron said to Hermione, smirking slightly. He turned to Harry. Let's think, he said, pulling a face like a goyle concentrating. Well, uh, first year. You saved the stone from you-know-who. But that was luck, said Harry. That wasn't skill. Second year, Ron interrupted. You killed the Basculus and destroyed Riddle. Yeah, but Fox hadn't turned up by third year, said Ron louder still. You fought off about a hundred Dementors at once. You know that was a fluke if the time turn hadn't... Last year, Ron said, almost shouting now. You fought off you-know-who again. Listen to me, said Harry almost angrily before, because Ron and Hermione were both smirking now. Just listen to me, all right? It sounds great when you say it like that, but all that stuff was luck. I didn't know what I was doing half the time. I didn't plan any of it. I just did whatever I could think of. I nearly always had help. Ron and Hermione were still smirking, and Harry felt his temper rise. He wasn't even sure why he was feeling so angry. Don't sit there grinning like you know better than I do. I was there, wasn't I? He said heatedly. I know that. I know what went on all right. And I didn't get through any of that because I was brilliant at defense against the dark arts. I got through it because because help came at the right time, or because I guessed right. 
But I just blundered through it all. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Stop laughing! The bowl of Mertlap essence fell to the floor and smashed. He became aware that he was on his feet. Though he couldn't remember standing up, Crookshank streaked away under a sofa. Ron and Hermione's smile had vanished. You don't know what it's like! You! Neither of you! You've never had to face him, have you? You think it's just memorizing a bunch of spells and throwing them at him? Like you're in class or something? The whole time you're sh sure you know there's nothing between you and dying except your own? Your own brain or guts or whatever? Like you can think straight when you know you're about a second from being murdered or tortured or watching your friends die? They've never taught us that in their class. What it's like to deal with things like that? And you two sit there acting like I'm a clever boy to be standing here alive? Like Diggory was stupid? Like he messed up? You just don't get it. That could just easily have been me. It wouldn't have been Voldemort. It hadn't been, hadn't needed me. We weren't saying anything like that, mate, said Ron, looking aghast. We weren't having a go at Diggory. We didn't. You got the wrong end of the... Harry... He looked hopelessly at Hermione, whose face was stricken. Harry... She said timidly, don't you see? This, this is exactly why we need you. We need to know what it's, what it's really like facing him, facing, facing Voldemort. It was the first time she had ever said Voldemort's name, and it was this more than anything else that calmed Harry. Still breathing hard, he sank back into his chair, becoming aware as he did so that his hand was throbbing horribly again. He wished he had not smashed the bowl of Murtlap essence. Well, think about it, said Hermione quietly, please. Harry could not think of anything to say. He was feeling ashamed of his outburst already. He nodded, hardly aware of what he was agreeing to. Hermione stood up. Well, I'm off to bed, she said in a voice that was clearly as natural as she could make it. Mm. Night. Ron had gotten to his feet too. Coming? He said awkwardly to Harry. Yeah, said Harry. In a in a minute, I'll just clear things up. He indicated the smash bowl on the floor. Ron nodded and left. Reparo, Harry muttered, pointing his wand at the broken pieces of china. They flew back together good as new, but there was no returning the Mertlap essence to the bowl. He was suddenly so tired that he was tempted to sink back into his armchair and sleep there, but instead he got to his feet and followed Ron upstairs. His restless night was punctuated once more by dreams of long corridors and locked doors, and he awoke the next day with his scar prickling again. Crazy stuff, man. Yeah, dude, and like that. So that that was the biggest thing. The whole thing was a big pitch of what is going to come later on of Harry teaching students who want to learn defense against the dark arts that they can't learn in the classroom anymore. And on top of that, that very last sentence that you just read in three twenty nine about dreams of long doors and locked corridors, like big foreshadow later on as well too so yeah we got <clears throat> we're starting to kind of kick up here a little bit throughout the middle mm -hmm. of this book but going through it a little bit on page 331 I'm going to kind of read the final three paragraphs on this page because I find that they're pretty important so <clears throat> this is where Hermione's talking to Harry about what they had mentioned in terms of teaching the dark arts right so right you did listen to what I said about a load of it being luck, didn't you? Harry said to Hermione. Yes, Harry, replied Hermione gently. But all the same, there's no point pretending that you're not good at defense against the dark arts because you are. You were the only person last year you could throw off the Imperius Chris completely. You can produce a Patronus. 
and you can do all sorts of stuff that full-grown wizards can't. Victor always said, Ron looked around at her so fast that he appeared to crick his neck, rubbing it. Yeah? What did Vicky say? Ho ho, said Hermione in a bored voice. He said Harry knew how to do stuff that even he didn't, and he was in his final year at Durmstrang. So, thought that was pretty cool. That, that was I let, So right now, in today's... So as we are in book five, Victor Crumb would be 19, because he was 18 in book four, right? So, again, I still find it weird. 18-year-old dating a 14-year-old, or a 19-year-old dating a 15-year-old, talking about Victor, Victor <laughs> and Hermione here. But the point of that passage was... Victor Crumb, an international Quidditch player, very famous wizard who's pretty dang good in his own right, was chosen as the Durmstrang captain, admitted to Hermione that Harry could do stuff that even he didn't know how to do. So, pretty cool stuff there. Uh, going into page 334, a little bit of a foreshadow here. Um, that's where Hermione was skeptical about how Argus Filch was tipped off about Harry's letter, talking about like you know the possibilities of it being intercepted. And then page 335... Uh, they actually enter a Hogshead pub for the first time. This is a bit of a foreshadow because of who the barkeeper is at the Hogshead. I won't say it, his name. But, uh, yeah, on page 336, I'll go ahead and read that last paragraph. It says, The barman sidled toward them out of a back room. He was a long, grumpy-looking old man with a great deal of long gray hair and a beard. He was tall and thin and looked vaguely familiar to Harry. So that was a description of the barman at the Hogshead Pub. I won't uh, give anything else away, but that's a pretty big foreshadow. Um, now, going into page... Well, we'll still on page 335-336 here. Going into the Hogshead Pub, uh, Harry, like, he's there to meet people who are interested in his story and learning Defense Against the Dark Arts from him. But we kind of have a full circle moment on the first paragraph of 336 because it says Harry remembered Hagrid mentioning this pub in his first year you get a lot of funny folk in the hogshead he had he had said explaining how he had won a dragon's egg from a hooded stranger there at the time Harry had wondered why Hagrid had not found it odd that the stranger had kept his face hidden throughout their encounter now he saw that keeping your face hidden was something of a fashion in the hogshead there was a man at the bar whose head was wrapped in dirty gray bandages though he was still managing to gulp endless glasses of some smoky fiery substance to a slit over his mouth two figures shouted in hoods sat at a table in one of the windows harry might have thought them dementors had they not been talking in strong yorkshire accents and in a shattery corner beside the fireplace sat a witch with a thick black veal that fell to her toes and they could just see the tip of her nose because it caused the veal to protrude slightly that person there is also a foreshadow guys that witch in the corner yep. with the with the veal so just keep that person in mind as we continue on through the story, right? Um, just going to read a little bit about uh, all the people who showed up. We have uh, Neville, Dean Thomas, Lavender Brown, Parvati Patil, Padma Patil, Cho. Cho's friend who's not named here, but it's not going to matter that I tell you her name. Her name is Marietta. Uh, Luna, Katie Bell, Alicia Spinett, Angelina Johnson, Colin and Dennis Creevy, Ernie McMillan, Justin Finch Fletchley, Hannah Abbott, and then we also hear uh, Zachariah Smith as well. So, those are just some of the people. Like, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and, and read the last go paragraph on 337 through the first paragraph on 338. So, uh, going on from that uh, 
Three Ravenclaw boys he was pretty sure were called Anthony Goldstein, Michael Corner, and Terry Boot. Ginny followed closely by a tall, skinny, blonde boy with an upturned nose whom Harry recognized vaguely as being a member of the Hufflepuff Quidditch team and bringing up the rear was Fred and George Weasley with their friend Lee Jordan, and all three of them were carrying large paper bags crammed with Zonko's merchandise. So, like, they've got, like, 25 people, and, like, they, Hermione just kind of said, yeah, I'll be a few people who want to show up and learn some extra stuff. Well, 25 people is pretty big for a school that half hates Harry, half doesn't trust him, and, like, uh, the other half is, like, terrified of Umbridge and defying her. So, it's, like, 25 is a pretty good turnout, especially when we think about all the years in Hogwarts, years one through years seven. It's a pretty good yeah. turnout, right? So, page 339 here in the next one, a little bit of a foreshadow. Uh, it's, it's more about the third paragraph, Cho's friend. So Harry tried to smile back but did not speak. His mouth was exceptionally dry. Cho had just smiled at him and sat down on Ron's right. Her friend, who had curly reddish blonde hair, did not smile, but gave Harry a thoroughly mistrustful look that told Harry plainly that, given her way, she would not be here at all. So that's a big foreshadow because she ends up ruining a lot of stuff for people later on that I won't get too terribly much into from there. But what I'll do here is I'll go ahead and read from Hermione pitching the idea to the group and kind of Harry addressing them. Go for it. So Great. this is going to be a little bit of a long read here, but I'm going to get through it right now. So go for it. You want to pass your defense against a dark owl too, I bet, said Michael Corner, who was watching her closely. Of course I do, said Hermione at once. But I want more than that. I want to be properly trained in defense because she took a great breath and finished because Lord Voldemort's back. The reaction was immediate and predictable. Cho's friend shrieked and slopped Butterbeard down herself. Terry Boot gave a kind of involuntary twitch. Padma Patil shuddered and Neville gave an odd yelp that he managed to turn into a cough. All of them, however, looked fixed, even eagerly, at Harry. Well... That's the plan anyway, said Hermione. If you want to join us, we just need to decide how we're going to. Where's the proof you know who's back, said the blonde Hufflepuff in a rather aggressive voice. <laughs> well, Dumbledore believes it, Hermione again. You mean Dumbledore believes him, said the blonde boy, nodding at Harry. Who are you, said Ron rather rudely. Zachariah <laughs> Smith, said the boy, and I think I've got the right to know exactly what makes him say you know who's back. Look, said Hermione, intervening swiftly, that's really not what this meeting's supposed to be about. It's okay, Hermione, said Harry. It just dawned upon him why there were so many people there. He felt that Hermione should have seen this coming. Some of these people, maybe even most of them, had turned up in the hopes that they would hear Harry's story firsthand. What makes me say you know who's back? He repeated, looking Zacharias straight in the face. Because I saw him. But Dumbledore told the whole school what happened last year. And if you didn't believe him, you don't believe me. And I'm not wasting an afternoon trying to convince anyone. The whole group seemed to have held his breath while Harry spoke. Harry had the impression that even the barman was listening in. He was wiping the glass, same glass with the filthy rag. It was becoming steadily dirtier. Sakurai said dismissively, All Dumbledore told us last year was that Cedric Diggory got killed by you-know-who and that you brought Diggory's body back to Hogwarts. He didn't give us details. He didn't tell us exactly how Diggory got murdered. I think we'd all like to know. If you've come here to if you come to hear exactly what it looks like when Lord Voldemort murders someone, I can't help you, said Harry. His temper always so close to the surface these days was rising again. He did not take his eyes off Zachariah Smith's aggressive face, determined not to look at Cho. I don't want to talk about Cedric Diggory, alright? 
So if that's what you're here for, you might as well clear out. He cast an angry look in Hermione's direction. This was, he felt, all her fault. She had decided to display him like some sort of freak, and of course they had all turned up just to see how wild the story was. But none of them left their seats. Not even Zachariah Smith, though he continued to gaze intently at Harry. So, Hermione, her voice very high-pitched again. So like I was saying, if you want to learn some defense, then we need to work out how we're going to do it, how often we're going to meet, and where we're going to... Is it true? Interrupted the girl with the long plait down her back, looking at Harry, that you can produce a Patronus? There was a murmur of interest around the group at this. Yeah, said Harry slightly defensively. A, corpor a corporeal Patronus? The phrase stirred something in Harry's memory. Uh, you don't know Madame Bones, do you? The girl smiled. She's my auntie. I'm Susan Bones. She told me about your hearing. So is it really true that you can make a stag Patronus? Yes, said Harry. Blimey, Harry, said Lee, looking deep impressed. I never knew that. Mom told Ron not to spread it around, said Fred, grinning at Harry. She said you got enough attention as it was. <laughs> She's not wrong, mumbled Harry, and a couple of people laughed. The veiled witch shifted very slightly in her seat. And you did kill a basilisk with a sword in Dumbledore's office, demanded Terry Boot. That's what one of the portraits on the wall told me when I was there in there last year. Uh, yeah, I did, said Harry. Justin Finch Fletchley whistled. The Creepy Brothers exchanged awestruck looks, and Lavender Brown said, wow, softly. Harry is feeling slightly hot around the collar now, and he was determined looking at anywhere but Cho. And in our first year, said Neville to the group at large, he saved the Sorceress Stone. Sorcerers, hissed Hermione. Yes, that from you-know-who, finished Neville. Hannah Abbott's eyes were round as galleons. And that's not to mention, said Cho. Harry's eyes snapped onto her. She was looking at him, smiling. His stomach did a weird somersault. All the tasks he had to get through in the Triwizard Tournament last year, getting past dragons and merpeople, acromantulas and things. And there was a murmur of impressed agreement around the table. Harry's insides were squirming. He was trying to arrange his face so he did not look too pleased with himself, but the fact that Cho had just praised him made it much, much harder for him to say the thing that he had sworn himself he would tell them. Look, he said, and everyone fell silent. I, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be modest or anything, but I had a lot of help with all of that stuff. Not with the dragon you didn't, said Michael Corner at once. That was a seriously cool bit of flying. Yeah, well, said Harry, feeling it would be churlish to disagree. And nobody helped you get rid of those Dementors this summer, said Susan Bones. No, no, okay. Uh, look, I did bits without help, but the point I'm trying to make is, are you trying to weasel out of showing us any of this stuff, said Zechariah Smith? Here's an idea, said Ron loudly before Harry could speak. Why don't you shut your mouth? <laughs> Perhaps the word weasel had affected Ron particularly strongly. In any case, he was now looking at Zacharias as though he would like nothing better than to thump him. And Zacharias flushed. Well, we've all turned up to learn from him, and now he's telling us he really can't do any of it. That's not what he said, snarled Fred Weasley. Would you like us to clean out your ears for you, inquired George, pulling a long, lethal-looking metal instrument from inside his onco bag. Or any part of your body, really. We're not fussy with where we stick this. <laughs> yes, well, said Hermione hastily. Moving on, the point is, we all agree to take lessons from Harry. And there was a murmur of general agreement. And Zacharias folded his arms, said nothing, though perhaps this was because he was too busy keeping an eye on the instrument in George's hand. Right, said Hermione, looking relieved that something had at least been settled. Well then, next question is how often do we do it? I don't think there's any point in meeting less than once a week. Hang on. We need to make sure this doesn't clash with our Quidditch practice. No, said Cho, nor with ours. 
Nor ours, said Zachariah Smith. I'm sure we can find a knight that suits everyone, said Hermione, slightly impatiently. But you know, this is rather important. We're talking about learning to defend ourselves against Voldemort and his Death Eaters. Well said, barked Ernie Macmillan, whom Harry had been expecting to speak long before this. Personally, I think this is really important, possibly more important than anything else we'll do this year, even with our owls coming up. He looked around impressively as though waiting for people to cry, Surely not! And when nobody spoke, he said, I, personally, am at a loss to see why the Ministry has foisted such a useless teacher upon us at such a critical period. Obviously, they are in denial about the return of you-know-who, but to give us a teacher who is to trying to actively prevent us from using defensive spells... We think the reason Umbridge doesn't want us trained in defense against the dark arts is that she's got some sort of mad idea that Dumbledore could use his students in the school as a kind of private army. She thinks he'd mobilize us against the ministry. And nearly everybody looks stunned by this news, except for Luna Lovegood, who piped up, Well, that makes sense. <laughs> After all, Cornelius Fudge has got his own private army. <laughs> what? said Harry, completely thrown off by this <laughs> unexpected piece of information. Yes, he's got an army of heliopaths, said Luna solemnly. No, he hasn't, snapped Hermione. Yes, he has, said Luna. What are heliopaths, asked Neville, looking blank. They're spirits of fire, great tall flaming creatures that gallop across the ground, burning everything in front. They don't exist, Neville. Oh, yes, they do, said Luna angrily. I'm sorry, but where's the proof of that? There are plenty of eyewitness accounts, just because you're so narrow-minded that you need to have everything shoved under your nose before you. Ahem, said Ginny in such a good imitation of Professor Umbridge that several people looked around in alarm and then laughed. Weren't we just trying to decide how often we're going to meet for these defense lessons? Yes, yes, you're right, said Hermione. Once a week sounds cool, said Lee Jordan, as long as, yes, we know about Quidditch, said Hermione in a tense voice. The other thing is to decide where we're going to meet. This was more difficult as the whole group fell silent. The library, suggested Katie Bell. I can't see Madame Pince being too chuffed with us doing jinxes in the library. <laughs> Maybe an unused classroom, said Dean. Yeah, McGonagall might let us have her. She did when practicing for the Triwizard. But Harry was pretty certain that McGonagall would not be so accommodating this time. For all that Hermione had said about studying and homework groups being allowed, he had the distinct feeling that this one might be considered a bit more rebellious. We'll find somewhere, said Hermione. We'll send a message around to everybody when we've got a time and place for the first meeting. And she rummaged in her bag and produced parchment and quill and hesitated, rather as though she was stealing herself to say something. I think everybody should write their name down just so we know who is here, but I also think, she took a deep breath, that we ought to agree not to shout about what we're doing. So if you sign, you're agreeing not to tell Umbridge or anybody else what we're up to. Fred reached out for the parchment and cheerfully put his signature, but Harry noticed at once that several people looked less than happy about the prospect of putting their names on the list. Uh, said Zachariah slowly, not taking the parchment that George was trying to pass him. Well, I'm sure Ernie will tell me when the meeting is. But Ernie was looking rather hesitant, signing too, and Hermione raised her eyebrows at him. I mean, we are prefix, Ernie burst out, and if this list was found, well, I mean to say, you said yourself, if Umbridge finds out, but you just said this group was the most important thing you'd do this year, Harry reminded him. I, <clears throat> yes, said Ernie. Yes, I do believe that. It's just, Ernie, do you really think I'd just leave this list lying around, said Hermione? No, no, of course not, looking less anxious. Oh, of course I'll sign. So nobody raised objections after Ernie, though Harry saw Cho's friend give her a rather reproachful look before adding her name. And when the last person, Zacharias, had signed, Hermione took the parchment back and had slipped it carefully into her backpack. There was an odd feeling in the group now, as though they had just signed some sort of contract. Well, time's ticking on, said Fred, 
Briskly and George, him and Lee have got items and a sense of nature to purchase, so we'll be seeing you all later. In twos and threes, the rest of the group took their leave too, and Cho made a business of fastening the catch on her bag before leaving, her long, dark curtain of hair swinging forward to hide her face, but her friend stood beside her, arms folded, clicking her tongue, so that Cho had little choice but to leave with her. As her friend ushered her through the door, Cho looked back and waved at Harry. Well, I think that went quite well, said Hermione happily. As she ran, Hermione walked out of the hog set in the bright sunlight. So, anyways, that's where I'm going to leave that one off there. I, I, there's one other part that, that end the chapter talking about Michael Corner and uh, Ginny Weezy. <laughs> but, like, because it's a couple things. Not that it's a plot hole, but something I have a question on. Harry was, like, so indifferent about, well, like, Ginny dating him. And then also when he said, oh, that's why she talks now? She never used to talk in front of me. And then Hermione says, exactly. So, like, Harry didn't really give a crap about Ginny dating Michael, which is kind of interesting because I know high school relationships, they kind of go in and out a lot. And, you know, it's just funny how it went from this page to where it goes next book. But uh, this, is, this is, I'll actually read that. It says, Ginny used to, used to fancy Harry, but she gave up on him months ago. Not that she doesn't like you, of course, you know, but she, you know, she gave up on you. So you're like, all right cool but ron is really pissed about this michael corner thing harry doesn't care it's like ron's just being a protective <laughs> older sibling and they're just trying to move on with it but long story short guys we've got the start of what we later come to know as a society against uh, the, the defense against the dark arts harry's going to teach it we've got about 25 people who are down to learn and uh this is where it's started we've got the members we've got the names on the contract Hermione does something special to that contract so that people can't go about blabbing. But now now we're moving in the right direction. And with that, going into Chapter 17, I'll turn it over to you, brother. Yeah, man. Uh, just a couple last things on that chapter, because uh, it goes into my bonus episode that I'll be releasing next Wednesday. Is Hermione goes into the quill shop. Uh, so we'll talk about different kinds of quills on there, which really relates to, like, Umbridge. Uh, that uh, you know she had that big part in the first chapter we talked about today but uh, just like you said it kind of ended the chapter where Hermione Ron was like which one is uh, is Michael Corner anyways and Hermione tells him and then Ron's just like I don't like him and she goes big surprise (laughs) like just big surprise there Um, but yeah I I think you hit that chapter really nail on the head there um, the last little part here, though, really foreshadowed Harry and Cho. Uh, it just says, like, Harry, whose head was still full of Cho's uh, parting wave, did not find the subject quite as interesting as Ron, who positively quivering with indignation, but it did, bring something home to him that until now he had not really registered. So that's why she talks now. Like you said, yes, Hermione, she never used to talk in front of me exactly, so Hermione. So, yeah, you read that part, but it was just basically showing, like, it more foreshadowed Harry and Cho too because what that part really brought to me was like you said high school relationships come and go but he's literally all about Cho now like Cho's like that like I I don't know like I mean he just threw Jenny to the side man like forget about year two like no F's no F's given here man like it's all about the hot new new cheerleader <laughs> or the i guess like you know the stud on the on on i guess you would say the quidditch team like the stud she's like a 
Uh, it's all about the one that's like gonna be the hot new power couple in the school. See you, Jenny. See you later. You haven't really done anything for me. <laughs> so yeah, that was, a, that was a big point. So now, like you said, we're going into chapter 17 and here he's um, just kind of rem reminiscing on the meeting that, and he's happy that people actually believed him um, is really kind of what's going on here. And it's just more foreshadowing of him and Joe because he just keeps thinking about like, how great it was that Joe thought of him in that meeting, man. Like, no one cares about Jenny. Um, and then it said, you know, uh, a large sign at this point going into next was fixed on the Gryffindor notice board. And um, I'll read this sign because it, it's actually really important here. Um, and this is on page 351 and 352. So the sign says, by order of the high... Inquis Inquisitor, right? Of Hogwarts? Inquisitor, yeah. So, by order... Yeah. <laughs> by order of the High Inquisitor of Hogwarts. All students, organizations, societies, teams, groups, and clubs are henceforth disbanded. An organization, society, team, group, and or club is hereby defined as a regular meeting of three <coughs> or more students. Permission to reform may be sought from the High Inquisitor... Professor Umbridge, no student organization, society, team, group, or club may exist without the knowledge or approval of the High Inquisitor. Any student found to have form or to belong to an organization, society, team, group, or club that has not been approved by the High Inquisitor will be expelled. The above is in accordance with Educational Decree Number 24, signed Dolores Jane Umbridge, High Inquisitor. So now, like, all, like, talk about really disbanding a school here. Like, I feel like this is what really, like, almost takes their spirit out. Because we come to learn it's not just even, like, these chess clubs and societies and groups. Like, Quidditch cannot run now. If you realize that is a team, that these are teams, right? Big portion of this entire series we've been following since the beginning she just disbanded it with one little decree. Like, literally probably typed it up in her office was like, hmm, I'm going to have something to say about this right now. And the crazy <laughs> part about that, too, is that, like, it's such curious timing because right after they met in the hogshead, like, the day afterwards, this mm -hmm. this is a thing. So it's like, that's why, you know, what comes up here in a second, we'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll continue on, but, like, it's like, did someone say something, right? Like, how did she... Right. You know, come up with this out of the clear blue sky but go ahead and continue on i just wanted to point that out oh no you're fine man no that's a that's a great point um i guess from here uh, i mean that they kind of just go back and forth about it like i won't read the whole thing but um you know at this point you know hermione harry and ron um kind of like approach the group right like i guess like Ron is telling them that they're going to meet anyways. And this is on page 356, despite, like, Umbridge's decrees. Like, they're going to still have these meetings because they're all asking them about this as far as, like, what they just put together at Hogshead. And they're going to do it anyway. Well, real quick, really, like, shows real quick before that, I just wanted to say this one thing on page 353 because I wanted to make sure everyone understood. Because mm -hmm. this is where Ron says, someone must have blabbed to her, said Ron angrily. They can't have done, yeah. said Hermione in a low voice. You're so naive, said Ron. You think just because you're honorable and trustworthy. No, 
they can't have done because I put a jinx on that piece of parchment that we all signed. Believe me, if anyone's run off and told Umbridge, we'll know exactly who they are and they will really regret it. So that's, I just want to point out that real quick is that there's a reason why we figured out that no one could have told Umbridge at this point because Hermione put a jinx on that paper. So that's all I wanted to, to touch right. on. I'll, I'll no, that, back that's to a you. great point. That's a really good point, actually. Um, and then from this point, let me know if you have anything between here. But I got on page 356. So Hedwig shows up with a letter. Um, and it's kind of like an odd diff- it's an odd time. It's not usually when the mail is delivered. So Harry thinks this is very kind of odd. Um, and it's in Professor Benz's class that Hedwig shows up. And you notice that her wings hurt. Um, did you have anything in between there? Just two quick ones. Uh, like about like the old-fashioned rule about what happens when boys go up to the girls' dormitories. So like even though <laughs> Hermione can go up to like Harry and Ron's like no problem, like apparently boys are thought of as more mistrustful than girls. So like when Harry and Ron tried to go up and, and see Hermione, like the staircase turned into like a slide and they like slid back down with like a big <laughs> old noise like alerting people. So like I just thought that was kind of cool. And then just to touch on your point on three fifty five, we learned that Quidditch is included. In the, in the list of band groups. So you already mentioned it, but that, yeah. those are the two things I have before we get to page 356. But there you go. Yeah, no, no, I thought that was great. I thought that was a really cool moment, too, when like it turned into the slide and she was saying, you know, that's been established since like the tradition of before because boys are untrustworthy, yeah. which is, it's, it, it's, it's true. <laughs> we are, but that's just, that's just the way we are. Um, and then from this point, I just have uh, Harry goes and visits Professor Professor McGonagall to find uh, basically Professor Grumbly Plank um, uh, so that she can inspect Hedwig. So he's like running to her uh, so that, you know, he's like trying to find her right away because she's hurt. And um, that's when uh, they did have this little quote that was really cool was like <laughs> Grumbly Plank was responding and she was like um, Hedwig might have come in contact with a th- a thestral. So I guess this is like the first time we hear that word, right? Yep. Which is really cool. That's what I put, and man. She said, That's exactly what I put. Yeah. I was like, this is the first time we hear the words thestrals. Like, on, yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. Uh, she just said, like, thestrals will sometimes go for birds, of course. But Hagrid's got the Hogwarts thestrals well trained not to touch owls. And uh, I'll let you take it from here. So the only thing I have next from here that is pretty big in this little area uh, is that in page 359, Professor McGonagall tells Harry that communications in and out of Hogwarts may be being watched. So that's important. Mm-hmm. To, you know, We kind of had an idea about it, but now even the staff is talking about it. Like At first, it was just like kind of conspiracies between like the kids. Like Hermione's like, hey, you know, don't watch. Like, Sirius is like, oh, you know, we don't know what's going on. But now an actual respected staff member is telling him, now like, really be careful about what you put in stuff. And because that's right. the whole thing, like Hedwig showed up kind of all messed up with her wings and, and stuff. Like it's obvious that someone tried to get that letter response from her. But right, uh, and I thought it was kind of cool that Professor Grubbly Plank's first name is actually Wilhelmina. Wilhelmina is <laughs> Professor Grubbly Plank's first name. But uh, <laughs> on page three sixty one, this is pretty big here. Uh, Neville actually tries to attack Malfoy for mentioning St. Mungo's, which is also a foreshadow, but, like, he, Neville, this is, like, the second time Neville's kind of gotten into a scrap with these guys. Remember the first time was at that Quidditch match, like, a couple years back, 
um, when he tried he he tried to fight them like with his fists like without even wands like, but anyways, uh, he tried to attack Malfoy for mentioning Saint Mungo's. Um, he, even Harry leapt forward and seized the back of Neville's robes. Neville struggled frantically, fist flailing, trying desperately to get at Malfoy, who for a moment looked extremely shocked. So we don't really know why, what we do because we uh, but like the rest of the class doesn't know like so Hermione right. like Ron and or at least Harry knows because. He saw Dumbledore's pensieve. So even Ron and Hermione don't know yet. So just Harry and Neville know, but nobody else there really knows why that triggered Neville so bad when uh, he said, my father says it's a matter of time before the ministry has him carted off to St. Mungo's. Apparently they got a special award for people whose brains have been addled by magic. And so that's what exactly what Malfoy said, and it pissed Neville off, and Neville like ran at him. But anyways, on page 363, uh, Professor Snape actually has his class inspected by Professor Umbridge, and she asks about his failed attempts to secure the dark defense against the dark arts position, which is kind of interesting because like I'm curious to know if Professor Umbridge knows a little bit about Snape's past and maybe like he thought that Dumbledore purposely kept him from it, because uh, he even <laughs> says you applied first for the defense against the dark arts post, I believe. Professor Umbridge asked Snape, "Yes," said Snape quietly. But you were unsuccessful. Snape's lips curled. Obviously, <laughs> like it's like <laughs> you, you know you have been applied regularly for defense against the dark arts post since you first joined the school, I believe. Yes, said Snape quietly, barely moving his lips. He looked very angry. Do you have any idea why Dumbledore has consistently refused to appoint you? I suggest you ask him. So like you would think that Umbridge and Snape would kind of get all along because they both don't like Harry very much, but. I will say that Snape has shown a lot of loyalty towards Dumbledore, and Professor Umbridge is kind of trying to kick that door down and turn people against Dumbledore, and Snape ain't having that. So I'll give Snape a little bit of credit here. I generally don't like him because of how he treats children. Like, dude, these guys are children. These people are children. Like, why do you treat them, like, so poorly? But I will give him his credit here when it's due. Uh, from there, uh, Tr- Professor Treeliner receives the results of Umbridge's exp- uh, inspection, and she is... Uh, on probation until further notice so she <laughs> it, 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 it's so gotta suck up. even for someone it, it, yeah exactly you know she it, she's been working there for 16 years some girl shows up for two months and says you know what you're not doing this class the way the ministry would like it so I'm gonna put you on probation like giving her that control over other staff members is crazy just to do that but anyways going on from there uh, page 367, Gryffindor actually had to cancel Quidditch practice because Umbridge would not agree to let them uh, reform their team yet. She said no to them. Not yet. And so, uh, on page 368, Fred and George perfected the puking, skiving snap box, and they were making that money. So that's the one where like he put it <laughs> in his mouth, threw up in the pail, popped the other one in, and ta-da, good as new. So they started Bitch really started making money, money off the cliff. <laughs> That's right. They started making that dough, bro. Um, and it's kind of like a full full circle moment in page 370 because the Sirius has now popped back into that fire and actually told them that uh, Mundungus was the witch under the veal. So full circle moment when I said, watch out for that girl with that witch in Hogshead, that was actually Mundungus Fletcher in disguise, and he was supposed to be keeping an eye on them. And so... Now we know who that person was. But, yeah, Sirius tells Harry that he's still being followed. And Mrs. Weasley, Sirius actually gives them a message talking about Ron, gives Ron a message 
to not take part in the defense against the Dark Arts group. And she's like, well, I, I don't want, you know, Harry or Ron, or Harry and Hermione to do it either, but, like, she recognizes she's not their parent, so she can't tell them not to, but she strongly advised them not to do it. And then what I wanted to read here, because I thought this was badass, is when, um, <laughs> yeah, so this is what Harry says in response to that. So he goes, talking to Sirius, so you want me to say that I'm not going to take part in the defense group, he muttered finally. Me? said Sirius, looking surprised. Certainly not. I think it's an excellent idea. You do? said Harry's heart lifting. Of course I do, said Sirius. Do you think your father and I would have laid down and taken orders for an old hag like Umbridge? But last term, all you did was tell me to be careful, not to take risks. Last year, all the evidence was that someone inside Hogwarts was trying to kill you, Harry, said Sirius impatiently. This year, we know that there's someone outside of Hogwarts who'd like to kill us all. So I think learning to defend yourself properly is a very good idea. And if we do get expelled? Hermione asked quizzically with a quizzical look on her face. Hermione, this whole thing was your idea, said Harry, staring at her. I know. I just wonder what Sirius thought. She said, he, uh, she said shrugging. Well, better be expelled and able to defend yourself than sitting safely in school without a clue. Here, here, said Harry and Ron enthusiastically. So, how are you organizing this group? Where are you meeting? Well, that's a bit of a problem now. Don't know where we'd be able to go. How about a shrieking shack? The shrieking shack, suggested Sirius. Hey, that's an idea, said Ron excitedly, but Hermione made a skeptical noise and all three of them looked at her, and Sirius' head turned in the flames. Well, Sirius, it's just that there were only four of you meeting in the shrieking sack when you were at school, and all of you could, could transform into animals, and I suppose you could all have squeezed under a single invisibility cloak if you wanted to. But there are 28 of us, and none of us is an animagus, so we wouldn't need so much an invisibility cloak as an invisibility marquee. Fair point, said Sirius, looking crest, uh, slightly crestfallen. Well, I'm sure you'll come up with something somewhere. There used to be a pretty roomy secret passage behind the big mirror on the fourth floor. You might have enough space to practice jinxes in there. Fred and George told me it's blocked, said Harry, shaking his head, caved in or something. Oh, said Sirius, frowning. Well, I'll have a think and get back to... He broke off. His face was suddenly tense, alarmed. He turned sideways, apparently looking at into the solid brick wall of the fireplace. Sirius, said Harry anxiously. We had vanished. Harry gaped at the flames for a moment, then turned to look at Ron and Hermione. Why did he? Hermione gave a horrified gasp and leapt to her feet, still staring at the fire. A hand appeared amongst the flames, groping as though to catch a hold of something. A stubby, short-fingered hand covered in old, ugly, old-fashioned rings. The three of them ran for it. At the door of the boys' dormitory, Harry looked back. Umbridge's hand was still making snatching movements amongst the flames, as though she knew exactly where Sirius's hair had been moments before and was determined to seize it that closes out that chapter now that's wild because we were we're talking about all the communications of inside and outside of hogwarts are being monitored right so what you were talking about you mentioned the potential of being at flu network well i think it must have been the flu network because now professor umbridge yeah. like had it monitored realized that something was there tried to grab his <laughs> serious head right out of it and, and capture him that was a close call but Yep, now it's it it's even more dangerous than it normally was. Right now we don't have Quidditch. We have like uh, an educational decree saying no sorts of groups can be formed, and we also now have like Sirius almost getting captured. So it's like it's almost like Umbridge just starting to put the pieces together herself. Yeah, so it is, and I think Umbridge kind of shocked Sirius here. Whatever he thinks, like was like about to find him because i don't think you know sirius is kind of like that pompous 
Like, definitely a little bit pompous. Like, I don't think it ever crossed his mind that someone would ever track him down what he yeah, was doing. I agree. Because he's been free for, what, two years now fully? So that he thinks that yeah. he's untouchable. Not even two full years, honestly. It was the end of term of... Uh, well, I guess he did break out at the beginning of book three. Yeah, I guess he's been he's been on the run and avoiding for two full years the being captured. So he probably... <laughs> lulled himself into a false sense of security thinking nothing could ever happen to him and then he almost he almost got caught up right there man sure did it's a close one dodging bullets man he could feel the air on that one sure <laughs> could feeling the air. yeah he looked straight up and saw the hand coming down he's like <laughs> good stuff great stuff. i'm gonna do three more bullet points and pass it over to you uh so this is talking about on page 374 Hermione tells Harry that she thinks it's Umbridge that has been reading Harry's mail and attacked Hagrid. So that would make sense because she's kind of the Ministry's spy. So any sort of thing that could tie Harry to anybody, you know, he knows that she knows. They all know that Sirius is Harry's godfather. And they put a lot of blame on Sirius for stuff later on, talking about the Ministry. I won't get into that, about another breakout that happens here. But, so, point is, is that we now have a pretty good idea that it's no one's secret. It's it's Umbridge trying to uh, intercept Harry's mail. So on page 376, they're practicing silencing charms, which is pretty cool. And again, Hermione does it like on her first try. And like <laughs> Ron and Harry always seem to struggle a little bit. But uh, the other thing I've got here on page 376 is that Angelina actually did get permission to reform the Gryffindor Quidditch team, but she had to go above umbridge's head to mcgonagall who went to dumbledore and while that's cool that actually has some repercussions later on when another educational decree is going to be laid out for everybody and to this point here on page 377 hermione herself she starts having second thoughts about the defense club but solely because sirius thinks it's a good idea that's so annoying she was all for it but as soon as sirius is like yeah i'm on board she's like oh wait maybe this isn't a good idea now like her and Molly Weasley really irritate me with how they view Sirius as a as a person. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. He's reckless. He likes to live on the wild side, as Simba would say in The Lion King. But, like, he's a talented wizard. More talented than either of them when it comes to, like, being able to battle or do anything at all. Like, he can turn himself into an Animagus, for goodness sake. Like, only one of th- three unregistered in the world. Like, that's pretty darn impressive. He escaped Azkaban, the first person to ever do it. Like, he's got some sort of good head on his shoulders, guys. Like, like can, like, can we stop acting like he's a child that needs to be put in timeout? Like, that's the thing that frustrates me. But anyways, I'll turn it over to you because that annoys me. <laughs> no, that, that's a really good point. Um, at the same time, I still think Molly kind of put something in her head because she reminded him, like, Sirius relayed that message that, you know, you'll be expelled. And this was coming straight from Molly. So I think that kind of played part in her head, but I mean, at the same time, Sirius is kind of reckless, just like you said. So I can see, I mean, I think it's more of like, she's doubting herself because everything's starting to, you know, Umbridge is really, like you said, putting the piece together, but also laying the smack down here. Like, in the words of John Cena doing the F you <laughs> right now, that's really really what's going on so i think that's where it's kind of playing tricks in your head where you know this strong independent hermione granger that has really matured up to where she is now 
she's starting to have that antsiness about her almost like how she was back in sorcerer's stone like her remember when she was like or was expelled <laughs> like so i think it's just you know it's starting to mess with her head a little bit i i definitely agree um but yeah she definitely shouldn't just assume because of Sirius <laughs> that she shouldn't do this so I, I agree with that too um from here what i have is harry and ron go down to quidditch practice at like seven o'clock and and fred and george are like debating using one of their own uh skeeving snack boxes uh to get out of flying actually so that was uh, pretty cool uh and they said bet she know what we done fred said out of the corner of his mouth if only i hadn't offered to sell her some puking pastilles pastilles yesterday we could try the fever fudge george muttered no one's seen it no one's seen it yet does it work inquired ron hopefully as the hammering rain of the root intensified of the wind howled around the building well yeah said fred your temperature goes right up <laughs> but yeah you get the massive pus filled boils too said george and we haven't worked out how to get rid of them yet i can't see any boils said ron staring at the twins no well you wouldn't said fred darkly <laughs> they're uh they're not in place we generally display to the public but they make uh they make uh sitting on a broom right in the pain in the <laughs> yeah so it's typical fred and george uh it was, i just thought it was a pretty funny moment from your boys there but the other thing i wrote down was you know it just mentions how bad the weather is at this practice it reminded me of like when I had football practice back in the day, like the coach didn't care if it was pouring down rain. You were hoping there was lightning so you could get out of it. But if it was pouring down rain, your ass was playing in that mud, man. So <laughs> the way it's going to work. That was so like, miserable. You better get used to it. Yep. Dude, I'm with I you, hope man. You take your Theraflu. <laughs> yeah. Like, our, um, our coach was the same way, man. Like, lightning was the only thing that would get us inside. And then it wasn't even that practice was canceled. <laughs> We'd go right into the gymnasium and do it in the hot gym with no windows oh, or, yeah. or ventilation. So, we were screwed either way. Like, <laughs> that was funny. Honestly, like, I remember, like, playing. Sorry, not to uh, stop on your toes here, but I, I just feel like I remember playing in the rain and it was like it would get so hot especially in georgia where i was like we would love to play in the rain like you didn't care if your ass was sick the next day you're just like well shit all right bring on the rain man we're out here until dark anyways so but uh yeah that's just what i wrote down did you what about your practices though Dude, like I said, like if it was raining, we were out there, man. If it was snowing, we were out there. Like the only thing that would ever get us out of practice is lightning, and then it wasn't even out of practice. It was in the gym with no ventilation at all, like in that stuffy yeah. school gym. Oh, the worst. Funny, uh, uh, quick malice in the chalice, baby. Malice in the chalice. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, quick malice on this. So I remember being at practice. Uh, this was like right as the season was starting so you know like in august like right when football really kicks in american football uh for us here in the states uh when i was in georgia and we had these temperature rules in georgia because it can go so get so hot you know people will pass out and die and i think you can't practice over like 102 and i i swear on my life coach's name not mentioned and i love him to death one of uh, literally like greatest coach i ever had um I still remember, though, I saw this dude stick the temperature gauge 
in the refrigerator <laughs> or the freezer, whatever we had by the training booths, pull it out, and he was like, "We're practicing today." I was just like, "Dude, when you know like everyone that's exhausted, you've been doing two days." Actually, we even did three days at one point, which was like because it would get so hot, you would come back after you went back home for like a couple hours to take a nap and then come back after you did a practice before before school you'd go to school practice for like an hour it would heat up so then you'd go back home and come back two hours later because it's just so like intense at this moment because you're gearing up for like the big first game of the season and i remember sitting there thinking i was like we're doomed like that was it that was our last chance man that was our last chance with that malice in the chalice card off to the pit of misery what about you you have any crazy stories like that though uh no only had two a day practices and i did a three a day practice but it was very similar it'd be like early in the morning before like the sun got to its peak like before like before school and then like it would be after school when the sun kind of was going towards this downward arc because like up there in new york it, it does get warm but it's not like a humid warm so like it, very rarely do we ever have like a hundred and two degree weather that we'd be practicing in, like because most of the time that was during the summer, and most of the summer workouts were voluntary to a point. Because our our right. remember, and where I'm from in New York, they don't start they don't start school until the Wednesday after Labor Day, which is in September. So people in the South start their school kind of like mid August, I think it is, right? August. Uh, actually, it got moved up. So when I was in high school, it was August first. Okay, so so for for me, it never was like that because we would have the whole summer off. It would be because we didn't get out of school. Like we ended our school year like June fourteenth, something around there. Like the second week of June is where we ended our school year. Then we picked back up the first Wednesday after Labor Day in September. So I always had July yeah. and August off. So I didn't have any like crazy crazy temperatures like that during practice, but. No, man, that's that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, brother. It's good stuff. Yeah, man, and, and uh, I was just going to say one last note. I'll let you take it away from there. It's just when it was raining so badly, uh, Angelina even tells the group to cast the imperious charm over their glasses, which we talked about in Prisoner of Azkaban. So, uh, really we're going to cool. call it the it's imperious because imperious is a different curse. Oh, sorry, imperious curse. <laughs> yeah, right. no, no, impervious. Impervious. That would be interesting. Yeah. Cast the imperious charm. She's like commanding all of them because Ron sucked <laughs> so bad. That would be awesome. That's what they should have done, man. That's what Put Ron underneath done. the imperious curse. <laughs> yeah, she would have gotten expelled real quick. They'd be looking for another coach. Oh, getting. yeah. Oliver Wood out of that semi-pro league, <laughs> out of the out of the puddle puddle of mud group, whatever you call them over there, get him out of there, fuck yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, the impervious charm she asked Terry about to keep the rain off his glasses. Funny story, I had no idea, right? Uh, quick last malice there was actually I need glasses. Never thought I did, you know. It was pretty wild. I. Uh, Apparently, I don't need glasses to, like, read anything at all. Like, I'm fine. But I guess it's, like, distance. Uh, so, actually, yeah, I got some Ray-Bans this week. Went to the glasses thing. Um, had no idea. Just went in for an eye exam because uh, the girlfriend wears glasses and was getting them checked out. And they were like, hey, your eyes are worse than hers. So, I feel bad for everyone that has ever had to be on the road next to my car. <laughs> so just throwing it out there, man. Uh, yeah, and with that, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. So, you know, Harry just shouts, impervious, and they all shout it, and it makes sure, you know, 
like wearing glasses uh are wearing goggles under the pool man like it doesn't matter you're gonna be practicing that rain today <laughs> today you're gonna be playing that's right my man so that's a few things here to finish up our impact moments before we get into our potential plot holes and our interesting fact each here yeah um 381 382 i'm gonna read a little bit about this this page here because this is uh this is where his scar kind of makes a makes an appearance again right so it's like uh no muttered harry sinking into the bench rubbing his forehead he's probably miles away it hurt because he's angry Harry had not meant to say that at all, yet the words, and heard the words as though a stranger had spoken them, yet he knew at once that they were true. He did not know how he knew it, but he did. Voldemort, wherever he was, whatever he was doing, was in a towering temper. Did you see him? said Ron, looking horrified. Did you get a vision or something? Harry sat quite still, staring at his feet, allowing his mind and memory to relax in the aftermath of the pain. A confused tangle of shapes, a howling rushing of voices. He wants something done, and it's not happening fast enough, he said. Again, he felt... Surprised to hear the words coming out of his mouth, yet quite certain that they were true. But how do you know? Harry shook his head, covered his eyes with his hands, pressing them down against his palms. Little stars erupted in him. He felt Ron sit down beside him on the bench and knew Ron was staring at him. Is this what it was about last time? Said Ron in a hushed voice when your scar hurt in Umbridge's office. Do you know who was angry? Harry shook his head. What was it then? Harry was thinking himself, he was thinking himself back. He had been looking in Umbridge's face, a scarred her, and then he had that odd feeling of stomach, a strange, leaping feeling, a happy feeling. But of course he had not recognized it for what it was, as he had been so miserable himself. Last time it was because he was pleased, he said, really pleased. He thought something good was going to happen. And the night before we came back to Hogwarts, he thought back to the moment it scarred her so badly in him in Ron's bedroom in Ron's place, he was furious. So you could take over for Trelawney, mate. I thought that was funny. But, so, what that is there is now we understand a little bit about Harry and the relationship his scar has with Voldemort. So now it's not just hurting when he's near or like when he's feeling an emotion. Harry can now determine what emotion Voldemort's feeling at the time. So, this has progressed really far. Like, went from he might be around to... You know, uh, I feel when he's feeling something strongly, and then it's like I can tell exactly what he's feeling when this happens. So that's pretty crazy. Um, page three eighty four. Get a little bit of a foreshadow here. Harry just about reaches the door in his dream, which is important because he hasn't really gotten close. Remember, all these have been like long corridors, dark halls, and he saw the door at the end but could never get there. This is the first right. time he got very, very close to um, to actually getting to the door. So, continuing on page 384, Dobby appears and brings Hedda back to Harry, and he's been taking on Hermione's clothes for himself and Winky. So, basically, the house elves have been finding it insulting that Hermione has been making all of these clothes and leaving them throughout the Gryffindor common room, that all of the house elves have stopped working in the Gryffindor common room. What that basically means is that Dobby's doing all the work himself. So what she did, she didn't make life better for the house elves. She made it worse for Dobby because now he's got to do the work of like however many house elves it takes to clean a thing by himself because he's been picking up all of the clothes from, that she's been making. And if you see the, the, <laughs> the picture of him, he looks kind of silly. He's got like 5,000 hats on his head, like all stacked up in the illustration. So 
thought that was pretty interesting. He's the man, though. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was loving it. He was. He liked <laughs> All it. All the clothes. He liked it, but still, she, her, her, the wish kind of went against her, like to help them and free them. They're like, nope, we're staying away from here, Dobby. You do, do this whole thing by yourself. So. <laughs> Doing it by your... No, bro, no. <laughs> so moving on to page 386, Dobby tells Harry about the room of requirement. And so uh, I thought that this is actually really, really important for the room of requirement. Because this, mm-hmm. this is what Dobby says about it. It says, because it is a room that a person can only enter, said Dobby seriously, when they have a real need of it. Sometimes it is there and sometimes it is not. But when it appears, it is always equipped for the seeker's needs. Dobby has used it, sir, said the elf, dropping his voice, looking guilty. When Winky has been very drunk, he has hidden her in the room of requirement and has found antidotes to her butterbeer there. A nice elf-sized bed to settle her on while she sleeps it off. And Dobby knows Mr. Filch has found extra cleaning materials there when he has run short, sir. And if you really need a bathroom, Harry said suddenly, remembering something Dumbledore had said at the Yule Ball the previous Christmas... Would it fill itself with chamber pots? Dobby expects so, sir. That said, he said, uh, nodding earnestly. It is the most amazing room. So, that's uh, you know. He says, "How many people know about it?" Said Harry, sitting up straighter. Very few. People stumble across it when they need it, but often they never find it again, for they don't know what it is. What it is, always there, waiting to be called into service. So we get to learn a little bit about the room of requirement, and we talk about it a little bit more you know going forward here but this has also been kind of hinted and alluded to in the previous books as well now going on to 388 just to give you the the dynamics of the room of requirement it's on the seventh floor opposite the tapestry of barnabas the barmy being clubbed by trolls so that is where you will find the room of requirement seventh floor That's opposite awesome. side of the tapestry of barnabas the barmy being clubbed by trolls right now page 389 talking about this is a little bit of a plot hole here about the morale he pulls out the marauders map well you know what it was never mentioned when he got it back from fake moody's office i've mentioned that last you know last book but this comes this is the first time we hear about the marauders map since the end of goblet of fire so just want to mention that there but anyways in page 390 i'm going to talk a little bit about what the uh room of requirements provided them with so Harry reached out, seized the brass handle, pulled the door open, and led way into a spacious room lit with flickering torches that illuminated the dungeon eight floors below. The walls were lined with wooden bookcases, and instead of chairs, there were large silk cushions on the floor. A set of shelves at the, fat, the, at the far end of the room carried a range of instruments such as sneakoscopes, secrecy sensors, and large cracked faux glass that Harry was sure that hung previously uh, in the previous year in the fake Moody's office. These will be good when we're practicing stunning, said Ron, enthusiastically prodding one of the cushions with his foot. And just look at these books, said Hermione excitedly, running a finger along the spines of the leather, large-bound tomes. A compendium of common curses and their counteractions, the dark arts outsmarted, self-defensive spellwork. Wow. She looked around at Harry, her face glowing, and saw the presence of a hundred books finally convinced Hermione that what they were doing was right. Harry, this is wonderful. Everything we need is here. So, it has, the room requirement has everything set up for what they are doing. Now, in page 391... They officially, not that this was ever really in question, but Hermione likes to put like official stuff stamps on stuff, and they officially elect Harry as a leader. That he's he's uh, um, now he's the leader of this whole group, and they start trying to come up with a name. And our girl Ginny comes up with the name Dumbledore's Army, as since it's the Ministry's worst fear. 
thought that was badass because first Cho said the defense association cool. and the DA for sure because you can say DA no one which no one was always you're talking about and Jenny's like yeah I like DA but instead of defense association let's go Dumbledore's army because screw the Ministry of Magic this is what we're doing today and then that was um, awesome. In page 393, they just they start with Expelliarmus, the disarming spell, with mixed results. Some do well, some don't do as well as they think they're going to do. Even Zachariah Smith was complaining at first about starting something so basic, but the majority of people still needed better guidance with it. So it was good that they started back at the beginning. Back to the basics, baby. And then uh, <laughs> page 395, this is a little foreshadow about um, Cho's friend, Marietta. This is the second and third paragraph here. So... Uh, she laughed. Her friend Maria looked at them sourly and turned away. Don't mind her, said Cho. She doesn't really want to be here, but I made her come with me. Her parents have forbidden her to do anything that might upset Umbridge, you see. Her mom works for the ministry. So we get a little bit of an idea there. With a, It's a foreshadow, but we also get why Marietta is not happy about the things. But that is more Cho's fault. Like, why bring someone along that you know is going to cause an issue? Like, I think that was a big blunder on Cho's behalf. But anyways... Uh, page 396 to kind of end this off here with our impact moments is that it was a successful first meeting and almost everyone was excited for the next one really exciting stuff they now have Dumbledore's army to look forward to Uh, they're going to be learning defensive spells right underneath the Ministry of Magic's nose with the name Dumbledore's army to piss off the Ministry even more and that makes me very happy as someone who is a rebel without a cause himself so (laughs) anyways that's what I have for impact moments before we get into plot holes, did you have anything that you want to touch on quickly there? Uh, just a few things. I just wanted to say, so, like, remember when he tells off Zachariah Smith? Like, Zachariah Smith was basically, like, Expelliarmus, like, uh, you know, like you were saying, like, he thought it was, like, beneath him, and Harry said, well, he was like, you know, when is that going to work on Lord Voldemort, is what Zachariah Smith was saying. And Harry said, well... Uh, it worked for me on him, basically, is what he was saying. So if you think it's beneath you, you can leave. And, like, Harry really stands his ground there. So I thought that was really good. Uh, just a few things as far as, like, the names that were brought up in the group before they decided on Dumbledore's army. So the names suggested were uh, Angelina suggested Auntie Umbridge, Fred from Fred and George, uh, our boys, you know, your boys, was the Ministry of Magic or Morons group. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, And then, you know, that's when, you know, they decided on DA, basically, after Cho said the Defense Association. So I just thought that was cool. Kind of like when they were messing up on stuff, like just to show how bad it was. uh, I just wrote down some, I got some bullet points here, of like each person that was so bad. Uh, I know I'm terrible. (laughs) Like (laughs) writing down all the terrible people so I can have a nice laugh, right? So it says, Zachariah Smith would cast the spell of Expelliarmus, uh, and his own wand would fly out of his hand every time he attempted to disarm Anthony Goldstein. So that was pretty funny. Fred and George uh, were several feet from Smith and were pointing their wands at his back. So they weren't bad. They just, typical Fred and George, did not care, right? Just goofing off, like not paying attention at all. Uh, and then Ginny was well. That's that's with, why Zachariah oh. Smith kept flying his wand out of his hand is because Fred and George were cursing him with Expelliarmus behind his back. Like they were doing. Oh, got it. I no. Yeah, they good. were doing it to to Zacharias. So like when he said the wand was pointing behind his back, that's why Zacharias's wand kept flying out of his hand when he was trying to cast it because Fred and George were actually doing it to him and he wasn't even paying attention. 
Oh, see, that's awesome. That's great. I thought like Zachariah Smith was just so bad it was like flying out of his hand. No. <laughs> okay, that that's good. I like it. That's awesome. Great stuff. Good point you made there. But like <laughs> Professor Umbridge, we're putting together the pieces of the puzzle. <laughs> that's great stuff. Uh, then Ginny was paired with Michael Cornell. Cornell, right? Is how they corner. say his last name. Like no, like corner. corner, like a corner of a table, like corner. Michael Cornell. Corner, corner. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Cornell. Uh, Corn, Cornell, Cornell, corner, corn. like corner of a table. Don't bump your head on the corner. Oh, like corner. corner. <laughs> Sorry, yes. <laughs> okay, corner. Michael Corner. Gotcha. Terrible yes. names, man. Terrible names. Michael Corner. Uh, and then is that Ginny was good, but Michael was either really bad or unwilling to jinx her. So like, I'm assuming he basically wasn't trying at all. So like, this does no good. Ernie Macmillan. It's that he was flourishing his wand unnecessarily. Like, it reminded me of Ron, where he was, like, putting his wand, like, um, I'm a rabbit, I am home. Turn this water into a... And then Hermione was like, stop, stop. You're going to put someone's eye out. Like, that's what it reminded me of. Um, and then the Creevy brothers, we talked about them back in Chamber of Secrets. Well, one of them, Colin Creevy, but they're brothers now, right? Uh, enthusiastic, but we're just entirely erratic like causing all the books to fly from the shelves so i thought it was pretty funny uh luna lovegood uh you know ravenclaw over here she was she was okay like patchy but every now and then would send justin finch uh fletchy's wand spinning out of his hand and then others times were just merely causing his hair to stand on it so i thought it was pretty funny and then cho it says um caught marietta's sleeve on fire and then of course uh, you already brought up like DA's next meeting so that's all I was gonna say um, and then also Ron he did actually disarm Hermione but he was like so stoked about it he said did you see me disarm uh, disarm Hermione Harry and then uh, Hermione goes only once <laughs> and then he goes I got you loads more than you got me like always trying to cause a problem and she goes <laughs> I did not only get you once, I got you at least three times, said Ron. Well, if you're counting the one where you tripped over your own feet and knocked the wand out of my hand. And they argued all the way back to the common room, but Harry was not listening to them. He had one eye on the Marauder's map, but he was also thinking of how Cho had said he made her nervous. And just like you said, so repeating what you said on page 396, foreshadowing them. So I just thought it was really funny. Typical Ron, always like trying to cause a problem. Like I'm surprised, honestly, when he hit Katie Bell in the face, when he threw that ball, he wasn't like, did you see that throw I made though? Like it made up for everything. Totally redeemed yourself. <laughs> yeah, so... That was all I had to say about that, man. And uh, you want to take us away on interesting facts? Uh, first, I want to do like three plot holes that I, I, I we have to discuss yeah. them. I just want to make people aware that this is what no, I you're fine. this is what uh, I found. Like, her, like when did Hermione find out about Harry's hand? Like, and what Umbridge was doing? The funny, crazy thing is, if you yeah. guys read this, Harry had never at one point told Hermione that uh, the "I must not tell lies" thing. Hermione never knew about it. Uh, Ron, Ron knew about it because he saw Harry's hand when Harry saw Ron's broom when they came back from the final detention and he came back from Quidditch practice. So Ron knew, but there was never a point that was brought up in this book, and you guys can go back and read it, that Hermione found out about Harry's hand. So just mm -hmm. like we just assumed that she found out along the way because she ended up making that 
that essence of Mertlap formed to soak it in, so she must have knew about it at some point in time, but it was never mentioned in the book when Harry actually disclosed that to Hermione. So definitely something to think about there. This one I already mentioned, so I won't really delve deep into it. Like, Harry completely unconcerned that Ginny has a boyfriend, where, like, in the next book, like, the thought of Ginny with somebody else makes him very, very crazy. <laughs> and then the last, uh, the last plot hole, and something, again, I've already, re- don't want to rehash it too much, but finding the Marauder's map, like, they just use it after there was never an explanation of how, when Barty Crouch Jr. posing as Mad-Eye Moody took it from him, there was never a time where Harry got it back that was stated in the books, and somehow he just magically has it here halfway through the book. So that that frustrated me. But those are the three plot holes that I noticed, or things that weren't explained. Um, at least for the Ginny one, like I can see it because you know high school relationships go in and out a lot, whatever. But those are some of the things that I I just wanted to detail and highlight for stuff that was a little bit of a discrepancy in my opinion. So. I do have one plot hole, actually, that I did write down that's pretty important, um, which it depends, I guess, really. Um, do you mind if I yeah. tell you this plot hole do real it, do quick? Do um, It depends, really, depending on what he was referring to. But So this is about the rumor uh, requirement that Dobby brings up. So Dobby, you know, he was mentioning how he found it because he when he found it he was using it to put winky in there because she would get too drunk all the time right and this quote he goes dobby knows the perfect place sir he said happily dobby heard the tell of it from the other house elves when he came to hogwarts sir this is known by us as the come and go room sir or else as the room of requirement and then he goes on and on and then he says that only a person can enter when they have a real need of it sometimes it is there sometimes it is not but when it appears, it is always equipped for the seeker's needs. Dobby has used it, sir, said the elf, dropping his voice and looking guilty. When Wiki has been very drunk, he has hidden her in the room of requirement, and he has found antidotes to butterbeer there in a nice elf-sized bed to settle her on while she sleeps it off, sir. And, uh, of course, he goes on and on. But my point is, like, he says in a person. So I'm the plot hole I came up with is, like, how can he have Winky there if it's only a person unless he's really just referring to all things, not specifically talking about humans? What do you think of that? I think it's referring to all things. Not, not, it's not, I don't think it's specific to humans alone because it doesn't say a, a, a human. You know, I guess like a house of kind of is a, it's a, it's a being. I, I, I just don't think that it's a, it means only humans. I think it could be anyone that has the ability to have need of it that can either speak or like do things as as a person can that's my thought process i don't think it's just strictly a human thing because because they even said in the beginning like my my thing uh at the top it says like uh i dobby heard tell of it from other house elves when he came from hogwarts going to hogwarts like if other house elves knew about it you gotta assume that they could get into it too so that makes sense. That's just looking a little too detailed into it, but still, we bring up everything. Absolutely. <laughs> so I just That's wanted a to detailed that. analysis, baby. Oh yes, devils in the details, baby. Yeah, you want to uh, kick us off with the interesting fact? You got man? it, man. You know mine. Very, very short. But my uh, thing about is, is my interesting fact is about Paracelsus, the bus that we were talking about that Peeves was yeah. picking up and was threatening to drop on people passing by. Well, Paracelsus. Uh, he was a secretive wizard about whom little is known, but there was a bus in the Hogwarts corridor 
that Peeves has been known to drop on people's heads, but also Harry received one of his chocolate frogs during his first ride on the Hogwarts Express back in Sorcerer's Stone. So Paracelsus is not only shown now, it's like, and also there's some allusions to it as the story goes on. I don't want to do the ones that come up later. So if I remember when we get through this uh, series, I'll tell you guys the other times it's thought to have been the bust that they were talking about. But anyways, outside of just that, Newt Scamander uh, used the phrase thank Paracelsus to express relief that Frank Thunderbird had not escaped captivity inside his suitcase. So like, Paracelsus is very highly thought of. He's obviously on a chocolate frog. Uh, see, there's not much known about him, but he's highly famous and highly respected in the wizarding community. Um, but there's one in the uh, Half-Blood Prince and one on Deathly Hallows. Those are two places that there there could be an allusion to this same bust, but I won't say about the time periods yet. But that's my interesting facts today on Paracelsus, the head bust that Peebs threatens to throw on people. That is really cool, because, like, Paracelsus, um, I was even looking this up for a moment. He's been around since, like, I think it was, like, 1400, like, way in the beginning, like, way before, like, Dumbledore and all of them. So that, that's really cool. That's a cool, interesting fact, man. Uh, for mine, it's actually about the Hogshead Inn. Um, so it's located on one of two, one or two streets off the High Street. Um, and it's known for being a disrespectable establishment. So a lot of like shady stuff actually goes on <laughs> in that place. Um, it is actually assumed that Madungus Fletcher uh, was banned, like we we kind of mentioned from there a little bit, uh, for dealing questionable merchandise at the tables. So Professor Trelawney was hired and was being interviewed by Albus Dumbledore there in 1979. Rubius Hagrid, of course, was a frequent visitor of Hogshead, which all this kind of relays into the big thing with Madungus a little bit. So with that, yeah, man, I'll let you uh, break us down here. Any uh, my any uh, final words on final words chapters? on this episode? Again, covering chapters thirteen to tension with Dolores through chapter eighteen. Dumbledore's army is just simply this, as always, uh, thanking our audience for the time that they take out of their day to listen to our episodes because they are generally longer than most podcasts and so it takes a certain kind of person to stick with that and continuously listen every week and now especially kind of twice a week with some of your interesting facts coming out too so that stuff never goes unnoticed guys so thank you so much and please continue to click like uh, subscribe to our channels uh, check us out on social media leave us reviews and comments all that stuff is very very helpful and allows us to continue to bring the stuff to you which we honestly have a pleasure doing It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun at the same time. So with that being said, this is all you guys are getting for today because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing Signing off. off.